Hey, this is Angus Crookshank, and you're listening to the Future Sickos Podcast. Yes, this is playing sick and deep, but you can cure our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickos were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes. Hey, this is Brennan from the Future Sickos Podcast. I enjoy watching hockey, but I also enjoy winning money watching hockey. If you would like to have the chance of winning thousands of dollars every week, Sign up for DraftKings account using promo code THPN. What is up, Ottawa Senators fans? It is Brennan from the Future Stickers podcast. I'm joined today by two guys also uh, in, in the Ottawa Senators space that I respect immensely, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of people do, and that is the Locked On Senators boys. So how, how are you doing today, Brennan Ross? We're good. It's been uh, it's been a long two days of the NHL draft. Luckily, there was a lot of action and a lot of uh, shocks for sure. We didn't expect many of the Senators' picks to be going that way, but hey, it just makes it all the more interesting. Like Ross and I covered seventy four different prospects leading up to the draft, and the Sens only selected one player from that list of seventy four. So we had a lot of fun uh, learning about uh, the other picks after Tyler Boucher and. We're, we're excited to welcome them to the Ottawa Senators, despite what people may think uh, based on the general public scouting opinion. We think there's some talent and some upside to be had here. Yeah, no matter how much you uh, dive into the draft like we have for the last month, we are still, it's the yearly tradition of uh, hitting their elite prospects page the moment you hear the Sens pick. No, for sure. And I, I think this year, especially like I know last year, like Jake Sanderson was like a, a bit of a jump for some guys. But but this year, like I, I was like, you know, like we'll, we'll we'll look at all these different options. And I remember thinking like maybe like Cole Sillinger, or, like Kosa might have been like that stretch or kind of that like wild card that Ottawa might get us by. But I wasn't really expecting them. I think you, you guys had um Boucher listed as like 51st or something, right? So 55, um, yeah. But I also gave him five stars as a player, though. So I love the player. It's just where he's selected. You can definitely argue that. Actually, let's let's get into that a little bit. So, so I know, like, um, like myself at least, like looking back at it, um, I, I I absolutely have like really really fallen for the pick. I mean, like, it seems like Ottawa is definitely trying to build a specific identity, and like this guy looks like an absolute like freak of nature judging by his stature which i think is i think is great but yeah i want to get i want to get your guys uh takes on the pick like what what do you think and like how do you think he fits into ottawa long term do you think that this is this is a smart smart move by ottawa when, when we look back at this three years from now versus maybe what all these f grades that that the team's receiving by uh by reporters uh, that's f for fascinating right brandon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely what that stands for. I got so many of those in school. The teachers are just really interested. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> I'll just keep things nice and uh, and interesting for them. But with the pick and, and where he fits in long term, I know positionally right wing, probably second or third on the list of needs behind right defenseman and center. So we, we can say we prognosticated properly if you really want to put a spin zone on it because they did get a right shot defenseman, a center, and a right winger with their first three picks. It's just none of the guys anyone thought would uh, would be the names associated with that. Being said, now you've got a situation where you're just going to have one of the best four checks in the league. You already have guys who are willing to go in there and bang bodies and I think Batherson's really underrated in that sense as well. We know Brady Kachuk, what he can do. And Stutzel's got a bit of an edge to him. I mean, obviously, that's not his calling card like Boucher. But when you when you talk about t- 
Tyler Boucher. It's hard because he, he missed so much of the year first with COVID and uh, he had pills. He helped me out here. What's the name of that illness? He had pneumonia as pneumonia. well. I've heard anyways. Yeah. yeah I, th- I think that was caused from the COVID. So he, he got, had a pretty bad case of it by all accounts and then uh, knee surgery afterwards. So that's tough to get any sort of mojo going. And then when you look, it, it's kind of tough too, because he split between three different teams. But if you add them all up, that's 12 goals in 19 games. So are we talking about about a guy who has more than a physical presence? I think so. And we won't have to wait long. He's on the ice today with Team USA at the Summer Showcase. So these old takes exposed could uh, be sooner rather than later. And uh, let's hope that's the case. Yeah, I, I like a lot of things about Boucher. Like Ross said, when we initially profiled him, we both gave glowing reviews. Like, we like the style of player he is. The fact that he comes from an NHL family, Brian Boucher, we're a hashtag goalie-friendly show. He was a goaltender for a long time in the NHL. A good one at that, too. Now he's an excellent analyst for uh, TV broadcasts. So there's a lot of hockey knowledge in that family. And definitely all you need to do is look at uh, pictures or videos of Tyler Boucher working out and you can see his off ice work habits are also very, very good. And this is the senators are trying to build something here. They're trying to build a team where, you know, maybe they're not going to outskill teams on a nightly basis, but they might outwork them and they might wear them down. And they're, I feel like this Tyler Boucher pick was looking into the future and being like, how can we add a guy to our team that's going to be an absolute menace to play against in the playoffs? Like seven game series up against the Habs of the Leafs. They're not going to have an answer for this guy. Like it's going to be tough to constantly have Brady Kachuk um, doing what he does, playing physical on the forecheck. And then on the next line, on the right side, you got Tyler Boucher possibly there doing the same thing. So I do like a lot of what Tyler Boucher brings, and it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into the system. But I think, like Ross said, we're mostly excited for a lot of these prospects. They just haven't had an opportunity to play games. Like, I don't think any of these prospects, actually, that the Sens drafted played a full season last year. No, 23 games and less, man. It's insane. Yeah, so, like, we're excited to see the upside that's possible because with these kids, the development from their 17, 18, 19 to 20-year seasons can be astronomical like you could see a massive boost from Tyler Boucher from last season to this season if he gets a full year at Boston University yeah no I I felt like that was kind of a bold strategy by by Trent Mann and stat but also like a great strategy at the same time like if there's a year to kind of go for those guys where you're like you know this guy might be super underrated or, or you're just like you feel that you're as sure about him as anyone else because maybe there's a lower sample size for a large amount of these players. Like, why not take the guy that that you feel um, might be more of a safe pick, but also that you feel could project into something really, really special? And I mean, like, I know, so I, I'm uh, from Kitchener and I like grew up watching the OHL and I'll never forget uh, Tom Wilson's draft year. I remember watching him in Plymouth and the way that he just went around and absolutely terrorized other teams like it was like it was actually like kind of scary like you just see this guy go around and like he could do it all but he would just like throw the body and it was like and it it made it just so difficult for other teams to compete against and like I remember like it's the same age as me and I remember like guys being like I just I don't want to play that guy like we we hate being on the ice against them and I think that Ottawa is doing a really good job of finding guys that have that presence and like you said like just that are going to drive like one of the best four checks in the league but also have the ability to score and have the ability to create points. Like you were like the numbers that you were stating there, like that, that's almost a point per game when you break it down and by, by all the leagues, or at least like 
actually it's nearly a goal for like yeah oh we're not math guys either yeah guy scored some goals but uh but no regardless <laughs> regardless but hey, Brennan, like, to, to your point you mentioned that he's a tough guy guy well tom wilson that is who guys don't want to play against I, I tweeted out the quote from the ep draft guide where his teammate sean barron's quote he's scary to play against his injury is a big reason he's underrated hasn't played but his game's crazy good it's tough to defend i mean that kind of tells you from a defenseman standpoint who has to go up against them it's no fun and uh, i don't know if uh this this might be a little galaxy brain but it's sunday morning after two long days of the draft but you're trying to lock up brady kachuk long term this is a brady kachuk type player this is a guy who brady wants to go to battle with and i i went back and uh there's a picture that uh, tyler boucher posted on his instagram like a year and a half ago when he committed to, to boston university which is Brady's alma mater. And um, he was right there like it. So he's known this player for a long time. Funny enough, they're both born in Scottsdale uh, with their parents both playing for the Coyotes at different times. But uh, I thought that that connection was kind of funny. And then it comes out a certain Sunrider typed in that uh, Brady Kachuk was the first message sent uh, to DJ Smith after the draft that we got our kind of guy. So I don't know if that has to do with trying to convince their star to stay long-term or try to see what they're building, but Timmy Superstar was all over it too. This guy was following every draft pick on Instagram <laughs> right away. They all have private accounts. So hey, the camaraderie. The, big Instagram guy. <laughs> oh yeah, huge Instagram guy. That model pick he posted when he went to Ibiza. Like, come on, buddy. Um, but no, that's awesome. And they're building something special. I think it. You mentioned the two lines pills. You got Kachuk on one, Boucher on another. Well, then you have Formanton on your third line, and then Parker Kelly on your fourth. Like you can't get away from guys getting under your skin every single shift. And you couple that with, let's say, let's hope for the best. I know seventh rounders, they're not always going to make it. Like Max Gwinnett probably has a better chance than uh, Romeo to to make the NHL. But let's say for some reason, Romeo and Roger and Clevin are on the NHL back end. That's an average of like 6'5", 230 when they're at their peaks. Like, good luck. And then if you can mix that in with some skill guys like Shabbat, Branch from Sanderson, that's a top six that I think uh, and a lot, not a lot of teams are going to like playing against. So I, I want to get I want to get your two opinions on that because that was something that was getting floated around a bit yesterday, and I, I got I got a bit annoyed by it. But um, I, I'm curious to hear what what the two of you have to say about kind of that argument that was being floated around that Ottawa needed to address skill uh, this year and that they should have been going for skill and that they don't have enough skill on their current roster. Um, how did you feel about that? Because like I guess like kind of a little tidbit, like I, I just didn't know where they were going to be grabbing a lot of definite skill that would be able to play in the NHL. Like I know, I know that there's a lot of prospects that looked extremely promising that were available in the second round um, that slept. I know Stan Coben was one of my favorites, but um, re regardless of that, like I, I don't know that um, that, that was going to be available for them in the capacity that was going to fit into their top six. So I'm curious uh, where, where you two stand on that. Do you, do you feel that, um, there should have been more of an attention drawn to that, or, or do you not agree with that take? I think that you can ask me that next year. I want to see these guys play a full season, especially Austin Chuck. Like this guy, the few highlights you see, he's going backhand short side upstairs from in tight. He's weaving through the neutral zone, beating defenders wide and going into the middle. Like if he can turn himself into a skilled power forward, especially when he plays up the middle, I know he played a lot of wing the last two years, but for me and Mendez, who by the way, that, that was the best recap article that anyone's uh, done ourselves included uh, from from the weekend and he spoke with Vancouver Giants GM who said that kid's gonna have a huge role on their team next year 
So let's see how that progression goes for him. In London, defensemen who are 17 years old, 16, uh, 17, because, right, he missed the last season. So around young defensemen, basically, in a rookie year, he's not going to play much. So now let's see how the Hunters kind of shepherd Roger along. It's just like drafting a Nodak when you drafted a London. You know they're going to be uh, treated like pros and taken care of. So I don't think that he's going to be the offensive guy, but with Austin Chuck, I think you could have some skill there. And then the wild card and all this is the one nobody had heard of is Oliver Johansson. It seems like he's a guy who's just putting up points anywhere he goes. And again, his year was so, so strange changing from uh, U18s to U20 to getting a taste of the all spin skin where he was playing on a loaded team, but still had two goals in three games. So let's see. I think that's probably the high upside pick that they tried to get is Johansson. Uh, where you're looking boomer bust on skill. Yeah, but then, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. oh okay. I have you guys on. I want to hear your opinions. I gotta talk all the sure. time. <laughs> sure, sure. So personally, I when they went with Tyler Boucher, I thought, okay, they really went for physicality size right off the bat. And Ross and I talk about it. EEP, they stated that Boucher is the most physical player in the draft by far. So right away, you hit a home run on size and physicality right off the bat. And what a lot of people think is you you reached on the physicality and left a lot of skilled value on the table. And you know what? At that point, I'm fine because you got your guy. You got the guy you think is going to fit in best. And like Ross said, Brady Kachuk said, I love this style of player. So you're complementing the pieces that the cornerstones of your franchise. So I came to terms with that after some time where I would have liked them to go for some offensive upside swing with the two second round picks. Like the fact that they passed on Atu Ratti twice in the second round and went for two bigger size guys instead. I didn't necessarily love that play. I'll be honest because I mean, Atu Ratti went and scored, didn't he score four goals that day in the Yesterday, yeah. team? So that would have been nice to have a part of your system right away. Good on the New York Islanders. That's their first pick of the draft. But there is there is some offensive upside. Like Ross said, Oliver Johansson, that's a guy where they didn't go for size there. They went for offensive upside. So I think they could have done a little bit better at that. But they, they have their principles. They have their guide that they're sticking to. They want size. They want guys that can play with pace. But also, the guys with size don't have stone hands either. Like Austin Pachuk, yeah, I think there is going to be a big season for him. He was one of the most improved players on that Vancouver Giants team last season. So I, I really do think there is some upside there. But where I think they're going to go is they're going to try to get that skilled offensive potential through a trade with a veteran top six guy. I think they're going to use some of their prospect capital to try to acquire a guy who they're they're not banking on a 17-year-old kid who scored 30 goals in a junior league to do that at an NHL level. They're going to say, we're going to use the value we have and the assets we have to go acquire a guy who we already know is doing that in the NHL and can continue to do that in the NHL. So that's kind of my mindset is they're going to try to go for that top six goal-scoring guy through a trade rather than the draft. No, I, I absolutely love that take. I, I think that it's kind of one of those things as well. It's like it, some of these kids definitely will that, that were available in that second and third round. They're, they will score 30 goals and, and they will have really promising NHL skilled careers. But the thing is that might not happen for another five years. Like they may not be ready to play on that top line anytime soon. And I think that like Ottawa is kind of getting to a point where now we're, we're seeing that we're almost ready. We're ready to bring in a veteran that, that kind of has that. I know Sam Reinhart was 
my guy that I was really hoping that they would go for because I thought he would be kind of a great plug in a couple different situations there. Are there any names that that either of you have in mind that you feel like would be absolute like great candidates uh, for, for a trade that might potentially be looking for a change of scenery? Well, I'll uh, Ross. Do you want to go, or else I'll take your answer. I think no, no. Answer. Go, go ahead. I feel like I've just been so uh, horse blinded into the uh, the draft the last few ga- days. I need to turn the page here and start redigging into the free agent pool. But uh, go ahead. As long as Landis Cog's not available, because he's obviously a one. Uh, but I don't think it's very realistic at all. Yeah, and where I would go is we're still looking for that top center, right? Like we, we, my mindset at least was that the Senators were going to try to address the center position with the tenth overall pick because there. You mentioned a couple guys, Sillinger, uh, Lucius. There was guys available that Aturati again, another guy that's a centerman that they could have taken to be a top six guy, but they didn't go that route. So I think they're still on the hunt for a veteran center, and Claude Giroux still only one year left on his deal. The Flyers. I don't know what the Flyers are doing. Like they are pulling off some wild moves and they really changed their entire roster. Like Voracek for Atkinson was very interesting, bringing in Ellis and Ristolainen in for draft capital. So part part of me thinks that that's probably not a deal that's going to happen now that they went and traded a bunch of draft capital to acquire NHL ready guys. So maybe that doesn't happen, but well, there's only one year left on Drew's deal. He would be a guy that would fit in so nicely to help bring this group into playoff contention. I don't know how realistic that is. So maybe that's not a good realistic answer. But if you're asking a guy that I would target, he would definitely be one of them. I mean, Ottawa guy too, that just helps. He's got his own statue built in Hearst, Ontario. So <laughs> the, the people love him. Yeah, no question. I, I think there's a funny uh, back and forth. One of the kind of beat writers who's been around forever, maybe not the most respected guy, Sam Carcidi with uh, – broad street bully or broad street whatever it is uh he asked whether Giroux is still going to be the captain and he tweeted that out as though it was new information and uh Giroux quote tweeted it saying good scoop sam good scoop so i don't know <laughs> if uh if that relationship with the organization is likewise or if it's just a reporter kind of getting in but when that question's asked i mean changes have to be coming right so the one year left on his deal maybe you hold out and you you hope that maybe after one more year of building this uh this ship here in Ottawa, then you can attract a free agent like that next summer. So I don't think it's crucial to get one this year. I think that Shane Pinto showed in a 10 game span that he was, you know, able to play in a top six role, maybe in a perfect world. He's your third C. I I think the big question is, is more the who's going to be departed from this roster. Is it going to be Chris Tierney? Is it going to be Evgeny Dadnov? Will those guys be a training camp? That's really what I'm curious. And who will be Shabbat's partner? on opening night. Those are kind of my three question marks through the off season. Yeah. I, I really like that as well. Like I, I it's really interesting because we're in such a weird spot where we don't want to create any more log jams in my opinion. Like I feel like that was, um, it, it was, it was kind of interesting last year, right? Because they really had that mentality of having these guys earn their spots. Like they're like earn your meals, but it also like kind of, I think got under the skin of a lot of fans because we're watching like Derek step on play like he shouldn't even be in the NHL like on this team. And then these kids come in and we're like, ah, like look how good they are. But you know what? It worked for their development. So it's really hard to criticize it because at the end of the year, like it it worked out. So, um, and and I think like Pierre Dorian even stated, he's like, you know, like, 
last year, like we probably like we definitely could have gone out and gotten more skilled guys, but they're specifically targeting character where I, I don't know that that's as much the case this year. I feel that this year it really is like, okay, we, we are looking for some guys that could play. And another big piece of that is it's just going to come down to who's available. Like uh, we, we can talk about this as much as you want. And I, I think like that was a great point that you made about Claude Giroux is that like, yeah, you know, like they are blowing up that core in Philadelphia. They're clearly not happy with the way that their season ended. Um, or well, I guess like their whole season <laughs> went, but, um, re- regardless, like Claude Giroux might still like, he's, he's still their captain and, and maybe they see him as uh, as a flyer for life. So at the end of the day, it does come down to that, but, um, no, I completely agree. And we do kind of have to look in house and, and see what goes on. And, um, if they do end up moving on from Dadenoff and Tierney, like how, how that plays a role in it. But, um, so Derek had a question here and, and I do, uh, I do want <laughs> There's another comment as well, but we, we isn't this his show? We got to get him on the show. What's he doing? Yeah, I know. That's that was <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah. That's what he's saying. He's like, I should have just hopped on, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going. On. You guys, you guys sign up for this, and you get me. What is this? Derek, Derek <laughs> just pulled off an all-time flip. But yeah, so he just goes, "What do you guys think of the price Sam Reinhart went for? Seemed attainable." Um, so I, I completely agree with that. Like, I, I just want to say like, like the Devin Levi and a first round pick. Like, I think that, um, we definitely could have done it. It would have, I like if someone suggested that maybe we could have done Joey Dak, but I think this deal had to happen after the expansion draft. I can't see a situation where we would send a goalie before then. So I'm curious, like, um, do, do you think that like a Philip Gustafson or a Mad Sogard and next year's first round pick would have got that deal done? And is that a deal that you would have done as uh, an Ottawa Senators fan? Yeah, both of you, I guess. Well, well, I think for sure that would have got that done because uh, I would say an Ottawa first round pick. And then you look at the goaltending prospects that Ottawa has. No offense to Levi. He had a great world juniors and stuff. But that's a season seventh, seventh round. round seventh pick, rounder, yeah. Yeah, yeah so was. you look at uh, guys like Sogard, um, Gustafson. They're I, both second rounders. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much more value there. Like I would say, like maybe on par, you're looking at a Marilinen or Mandalise with Levi. Maybe that's a little uh, under, but right around there, I would say Gustafson and Sogard have much more value than Levi did. And the thing is, I, I really like Sam Reinhardt, and I think he would be a good fit in Ottawa too, but. He's not the guy I'm pushing my chips in for because I, I'm just looking for someone with a, to play a style of game that the Senators want, like a little more size, uh, maybe a little more experience, although he's been in the league for a while, but he, albeit in Buffalo. So not uh, not the best of times for him. So I'm sure he's stoked to get out here. But for me, I, I would have been OK with that deal, but it's not the deal that I would want. And especially now that Joey Decord's gone, unfortunately, and the Sens didn't go the route of a goaltender, I'm thinking you want to keep all these goalies in-house now. Like Sogard and uh, Mandelise, Marilyn and Gustafson, these guys all have so much potential. Like for me personally, I have a guy like Mad Sogard being one of the best prospects in this entire system. Like I have a lot of high hopes for Mad Sogard and he's a big, tall Dane who's technically sound. He had a seven and O record in the AHL. That's pretty good. If you ask me, I'm not a math guy, but I'll take that. So I, I really would like to keep the goalies in house. So I would have been sad to move another goalie, but Sam Reinhardt is a great player and he would help this team for sure. Came, came without a contract though. And that's kind of a key in all this yeah, too. too. Flor- Florida still has to negotiate with him. So I think if there was some more cost certainty to it, maybe it's a little bit easier to go out and, and reach for that guy. 
Yeah, that's that's a really great point. I I also agree. Like, I think that Ottawa's goaltending depth is definitely like an embarrassment of riches, but I think we all kind of want it that way. I don't know. I don't know that I would change the current situation. So, um, I guess we'll, we'll get into a couple more draft questions before before I let you guys go and enjoy your Sunday. So, um, my 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 question uh, was that I'm I'm curious who your favorite pick of, of the, of the entire draft was, I know we're, we're obviously extremely premature, but um, any of the guys who, whose elite uh, prospects profiles really jumped out to you, I guess, like even in the later rounds, I know for me, like uh, Carson Latimer, when I started digging into him a little bit, like he, he just reminds me of like Formington 2.0 and like he was on an incredibly good team that went 17, one and one also not big math guys, but I think that's pretty good. And um, was playing in a, in a limited role and was able to work his way up onto uh, like a second line right wing position. And it looks like he just burns guys with the speed and goes to the net. And in his like one of the highlight reels I watched, he got knocked to the ice like four times. And I was like, this is an Ottawa Senator. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious what, uh, what picks kind of stood out to you guys. If there's any that you're like, I, I'm pumped to see this kid in action. Uh, pumped for the player or the pick, right? Because that's kind of where I get a little different. So, so let, let, let's go. Let's go with player. <laughs> oh, the player then is Tyler yeah, yeah. Boucher. Like th- th- this guy is absolutely uh, just a horse out there. So I just want to see him in a full season, playing more than twenty games, and he's going to have a challenge ahead of him going to Boston University, playing against bigger, stronger kids. Maybe not stronger after the discussion we had about it. just a freak in the workout room, but he, he's the guy who I'm most excited about. So. I mean, not like the, I'm really breaking down any barriers here, taking the first two guys, but him and Zach Austin, Chuck, are, are my two guys from this draft, no doubt. Yeah, well, I'll I'll go with the guy we haven't mentioned, and that's Oliver Johansson. We talked about uh, the Sens going for size with their first three picks, and they went with skill with Johansson, and I can see it. Like he he bounced around three different Swedish leagues, but when he was in the Allspenskin league. He had an opportunity to play on the top line and he played on the power play and he scored goals like three goals in five games in the Allspenskin League. So he showed that he has the ability to be a top line player in a good league. Like that's that's a solid league over there in Sweden. And I really like his ability to he's a good skater. He can get the puck on net. He's someone that I think with a full season and Timra, from what I understand is going up to the SHL next season. So he's going to have an opportunity to play up against men. That's what we want. And this is a young kid with a lot of runway. Like his 18th birthday is tomorrow. He's still 17. So there's so much runway with a guy like Oliver Johansson. And I like that he's a skilled guy they went for. And I'm excited to see what he can bring once he gets those opportunities at a more regular pace at a first line power play pace. Mind you, you probably won't get that in the SHL, but he's going to have to work on his play away from the puck, which for an offensive player is going to help out his all round game as well. No, I, I absolutely love that take. I feel like he, it, like Johansson is this year's version of Roby Yerventi because Ro, like Roby was playing in that Métis league and he was putting up incredible numbers, but they didn't want to pull him up um, unless he could be thrown into a role where he was going to succeed. And then Johansson, it looked like he was kind of being, because he, I, they were the, the best team in the league this year. They're extremely competitive. It wasn't actually until Jonathan Deline went out of the lineup that they decided to insert him. Um, and, and like, and yeah, he, he really earned it. So yeah, no, I, I think that's a really intriguing pick and I'm excited to see what he turns into. And like, you always, you have to love those, those 17 year old turning 18 guys, like just those guys at the, the end of the draft, because yeah, I mean, like it, it, it really is such a difference. Like there's a full year between them and some of the other guys or, or almost that, at least, I guess, like 
a month or so. And then, so um, I guess, but when, when I leave it off, I'll, I saw a, uh, an NHL scout um, w- with a quote on Boucher that I thought was pretty awesome. So maybe I'll, I'll just leave it with that. So the quote was, Boucher would have only solidified his draft stock if he had been seen with his shirt off. We're talking about a physical specimen. So maybe uh, maybe Brady Kachuk was able to give some like inside knowledge of this guy just being absolutely shredded that they weren't going to be able to get at the combine. And um, no, I completely agree. I, I'm I'm super super pumped about that pick. Um, and I I also really like the take of like you know. We, we have to look at who these guys want to win with, who these guys want to play with. We know that there's a lot of personal connections there. And I think that chemistry is everything. Like it, it really does come down to it. And um, I, I'm, I'm super excited for, for what's to come. So um, yeah, thank, thank you both for coming on to the show so much. It was, it was truly a pleasure to be able to to break this down with you. And um, I hope, I hope you guys can get some downtime before free agency. Cause I know that you've just been so busy and then busy again, basically going back and revisiting all these picks. I'm sure. Oh yeah. We're yeah. going to have some fun doing it. No rest for the wicked though. We've got five coming up this week. We've got Dax uh, scheduled for the week after, and I just got Brian Boucher's uh, phone number. So we're going to try to get Tyler's dad on the show. Obviously we'd love to have him on just as a hockey analyst, goalie friendly show. But then when you mix in the fact that his uh, son's now an Ottawa Senator, it makes for, for even more fun. So yeah, we got lots of good stuff coming up, but we got to mention before we go though, this Ben Roger kid, you mentioned that extra year of development. Well, Ben Rogers, one of the oldest kids in the draft, despite not playing this past year, gaining 35 pounds. I think he's a guy who you could see a huge step forward from next time he's on the ice with London. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, like absolutely crazy. I remember even in the draft, they were talking about he was eating like eight meals a a day at some point. It's like, who do you down that much food? But yeah, definitely um, a a common theme that the senators are going for. And you got to love it because it is one of those things where it's like, okay, you see these skilled teams and you see teams that are getting more and more skilled. And it's like, how do we compete with that? And it's like, well, maybe the answer isn't to get more skilled than them. Maybe it's to find the guys that can stop that and, and shut them down. Also hilarious that people were getting on the sense for taking the safe pick for the last couple of years. And this year they went off the board with, with swings and now they're getting ridiculed again. So he can't win. So I think Trent Mann summed it up pretty well that he just doesn't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, they have their principles and you got to stick with your gut. Like I respect um, a team, a person even uh, that will has gut instincts and sticks to their guts and won't go back on that and will live and die on that sword. You know, like if you're going to go, Hey, we want to be a big team with size and pace and good culture, then go fully for that. Like, yeah, zigging when everyone else is zagging, everyone else is going for the advanced stats, skilled guys, but you're not going to outskill a lot of these teams. So beat them in other ways. And hey, as fans of the Ottawa Senators, I love watching a team that's just going to wear down and uh, play physically and just be an absolute tough team to play against. So I'm happy with the direction they're going. For sure. It's a t- it's a ten dimension league, right? Everyone's trying to be galaxy brand and do the most. And well, Ottawa's got two D on their chest, and they're playing two D chess. Big, <laughs> handsome boys, and they are just gonna beat the crap out of absolutely everybody. So hey, if if their average height on the back end six five in two years, I won't actually be that surprised. 
Yeah, honestly, like a couple of these kids, like I, I feel like it was like almost that scene in Benchwarmers where they just signed off and said like I am twelve and handed off a piece <laughs> yeah. of paper because I'm starting to question if they're actually eighteen. Like, yeah, I, I mean, even Ostopchuk, I was watching his. I was like, this is a full grown man. Like, where, yeah. where, what are they beating these guys? How about the this? seventh rounder, six foot five, two oh five, at eighteen years old, <laughs> and he turned eighteen on July sixteenth. So he's one of the youngest kids in the draft too, and he's already that big. So. <laughs> Name Jeez, like man. name like it's, Romeo will definitely steal your heart. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, but that, hey, that being said, it's gonna be awesome with the OHL back up. Ottawa hadn't had an OHL prospect since Alex Formanton, so it's been a couple of years. They go back to London where they did well with Formanton back then, and and now they got two dub kids. So they went heavy on the CHL this year, which was uh, interesting and and nice to see. I think so. They got to replenish that. Still had to grab their US kid. They always do. They managed to get him. So, hey, it's going to be a ton of fun, man. We're looking forward to it just as much as you are. Yeah, I was definitely a little surprised they didn't go for any North Dakota guys. Like, I know that we had a, a pretty solid defenseman on the board there in Johnson. But, um, but you know, like, they, they got their their American bloodline kid. Um, seems like that's just it, – it's part of the criteria for every draft. And I agree. I thought it was really interesting that they went for the CHL guys when they knew that there was a smaller, sam- like, sample size, and they kind of used that to that their advantage. Like, maybe they capped it on some guys that um, would have been considered higher given uh, given a different year. So, so yeah. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on guys. Really appreciate it. And for anyone that's tuning into this, I mean, I'm sure you're all familiar with the locked on suns podcast, but definitely do not um, hesitate to tune into everything that's coming up in the next week. It sounds like they have some really awesome, exciting. Oh, (laughs) this is is Pillsy's cat too. I'm upstairs. I came down to Collingwood for the weekend. So Making an appearance. This one's Pippin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not Pippen shy. His, uh, uh, but yeah, thing. yeah. No, I'm sure everybody. We're gonna be watching you on Monday too, Jesse Winchester. Great get there, and uh, yeah, you can find us at Send Central uh, on Twitter, Locked On Dot Senators on uh, on Instagram. So uh, yeah, we're we're fired up. The Instagram is literally just copy paste from Twitter, so that's uh, maybe a little bit of uh, you know just backup. But uh, no, follow us. Uh, yeah, Send Central and. Uh, Locked on Senators, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, thanks for having us, Brendan. This is great. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. That was uh, it was fun, and I think I need like a ten hour nap right now because th- yeah. that was it was a slug of a day there. And um, hey, at the end of it though, you get players who are very unknown. I think that's sometimes unknown can be misconstrued with unexceptional. So let's see how this year develops for these players, and we'll be back. Like Simmer said, they teams usually do their one year remark and where you look back at the draft previous two years and five years down the road so i think uh all the warriors who are ready to give winners and losers let's uh, take a deep breath and we'll regroup next year absolutely love it yeah now is not the time to recap the draft <laughs> pretty hard to do it the day after but you guys enjoy and uh and yeah enjoy your day in collywood maybe you can uh a lot of a lot of good stuff to do there Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. We had a rainy day yesterday. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having us, Brennan. And uh, we'll have you on Lockdown Senders here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Sounds good. Take care, guys. All right. See ya. Yes, you can face it, you can but you can cure a disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickness, where it's pickable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ha, 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 ha. Yes. Yeah.
part two of our draft recap for the Ottawa Senators. This is Jack and Brennan here from the Future Sickos team, and we're joined by someone who I admire quite well, quite a bit in the Ottawa Senators community, and Brennan Mackey. So, how are you doing, Brennan? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be sharing the same stage as Pierre Dorian. That's probably the only time in my life that'll ever happen. So, humbling. Glad to be here. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think uh, after that, it's kind of just been downhill for us. So I, and I'm not I'm not implying that you're downhill. I think uh, even even just me, me coming on and, and talking, I feel uh, feel bad. So I'm lucky that we we have you to kind of bump us up a little bit in the ratings. So thank you for that. Uh, if if you were implying that, you would be correct. But uh, like I said, happy to be here. Awesome. So obviously huge weekend in Ottawa. I think, uh, at least for myself, I know I spent a good part of yesterday just absolutely going through any faucet of the internet that might have clips or footage or reviews on the majority of these players. And I, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this. So I think we'll, we'll start off. I saw that there was a, a bit of argument um, regarding like Boucher's strength and, and if he's actually capable of doing deadlifts. So I thought I just wanted, I just want to make sure just, just to get a recap, he, he can, he can deadlift an impressive amount of weight in, in your opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the hex bar doesn't, doesn't make it, uh, not heavy. No, no. Like, and uh, this is like a bizarre interaction that I had today and not one that I was prepared to have. Um, but if anyone's doubting my kind of foundational knowledge on this, I played football in university. I've been a part of strength and conditioning programs. Uh, you know, fitness is a personal passion of mine. So just on my own, I do this level of research, but a hex bar does not make a deadlift easier. It makes it safer. So with a conventional deadlift, when you have just the straight barbell, you kind of have to lean over and it's really hard not to round your back, uh, which is why there's no sense doing it unless you're like in a comp in the, for the purpose of competition. Uh, a hex bar allows you to kind of grab from the sides with the handles up and allows you to keep your spine straight and nice and neutral. So you don't have to rot roll your back to get the weight up. It's just, it's an easier, safer lift. I mean, I say easier, but I just mean by me easier, I mean, you're not going to break your back doing it. So he's doing a smart thing by lifting with a hex bar and people are saying he can't deadlift, even though he's probably got upwards of 350, 400 pounds on that bar. So uh, that was an interesting interaction I had today. Uh, I'll say that yeah. much. And, and no, I, I, I quickly there for the people saying it's he's not deadlifting first of all who cares you don't need to deadlift a certain amount to yeah. make the nhl or be a good nhl player he's still lifting it it's heavy yeah and second uh, of all he is deadlifting exactly oh. like <laughs> at, at the end of the day he is still deadlifting, is deadlifting. <laughs> even if he wasn't like that's just people trying to find anything about this kid that if his strength is the big part of his game and they're like oh he's not even deadlifting he's not that yeah. strong this guy is built like an ox all right mm -hmm. so let's uh let's get that out of our brains no, no, I, I, <laughs> I absolutely love it. I mean, like, it's, it's true. Like I've had, uh, like two different trainers actually that like completely cut deadlifts out because it, there's such a risk for injury. Like, it's not like, especially if you're young, like it's not really necessary unless like you said, like you're training for a competition or something specifically for it. So, um, I, I just saw that I got a good laugh out of that today. So just kind of wanted to bring it up and, and see, um, yeah, kind of how you, what your takeaways are, but, um, kind of just reflecting on Boucher, I, I'm, uh, I just, he just finished playing, um, again, so we didn't have to wait too long to see him kind of hit the ice in, in uh, representing 
the U.S. here. I think they ended up go, ending it with a 4-2 victory, and it seems like there's just numerous clips from the Locked On Suns boys of him just running around and just terrorizing um, the opposition, just knocking guys onto the ground. So um, I, I think we're kind of getting a bit of a taste of what he's going to bring just kind of in this clip. I know, like, I, I keep kind of bringing it back to that Tom Wilson comparable, which I think, like, a lot of people seem to have an issue with. But I think if he can kind of stay within that line and not cross the lines that Tom Wilson does, like that, that's definitely the kind of guy you want to have on your team. So I just want to get, uh, well, both of your opinions, uh, maybe Brandon, maybe yours first of, of what you think of the pick and, and what you think he's going to bring to Ottawa and why you think he might be, um, the kind of asset that's really going to help us down the road. Well, well, it was a shocker for me. Uh, I'll say that much. I, I think it was for everybody, but I was floored. Um, you guys, as you well know, I was on the live stream with sense talk and with, uh, Matt Bossy and James Wood and Brandon Sense Talk took a screenshot of the moment when the pick was announced, and our jaws are on the floor. Like the four <laughs> of us are like, and uh, Ian Mendez actually told me I looked like uh, Brandon Tanev when in the picture where he saw a ghost. So I thought that was an interesting little nugget. But uh, but no, it, it really did catch me off guard. Uh, I, I did not think they were going to go in the Tyler Boucher direction. Uh, as far as what he brings to the team, I'm really curious to see how he looks. Uh, I, I think the Tom Wilson comparable is an accurate one. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have the same disciplinary issues as Wilson does. I certainly hope not. Uh, but that style of game is similar. His skating is an underrated component of his game. He skates really well for a guy his size, and that allows him to just punish dudes with the way he hits. Um, and I think in terms of the Senators, Corey Pronman put it best when um, I think Ottawa's probably the only – I'm paraphrasing here, but I think Ottawa's probably the only team that he would have been fit with in the top ten – just with the way their roster is constructed. Um, they're designed to be a big, hard-hitting, heavy team with some offensive upside, and I think that's Tyler Boucher to a T. Uh, I, I don't know how well that offensive upside is going to translate to the NHL by all indications that we've had from the way the Senators have drafted in the past. I have no reason to believe that it won't, um, but I think he's going to be a fixture probably in their middle six, and uh, he's going to be a pain in the ass to play against, and that's what this, the, the identity that the Senators are looking to to kind of forge as they come out of this rebuild. And I think he fits like a glove in that regard. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there. Uh, you know, I think more of the reaction for today and what we're going to get into later is the the second round and the picks that they made after, because that drew a lot of criticism as well. Um, but so we've had a bit more time to digest the Boucher pick and, you know, say what you will about Ottawa picking the same players that have played together before and doing all that. But at the end of the day, it matters. And I think um, I just watched a, a Jake Sanderson interview where he was asked about, you know, Kachuk reaching out and everything. And they're building this, this nucleus of players who just know each other and like playing together. Uh, and I think that it's important. So that's, that's a, a more of an off ice thing in terms of on the ice. I think a Wilson comparable is, is very accurate, I believe. And I think, when people hear a Wilson comparable, immediately you're thinking of him slamming Panarin's head on the ice uh, as Tom Wilson. But what Tom Wilson is, is he's a top-line winger who brings a unique approach to the game. He's like kind of like Brady Kachuk that can, w with a bit more oomph uh, at the moment. So I think Boucher uh, can do that. Obviously, that's what the Sens are hoping. Um, and like, like you said, like a mix, uh, being on the middle six a middle six winger on an nhl team that's not necessarily a waste of a 10th overall pick i'm thinking back to 
I think it was 2016, Tyson Jost for, went to the Colorado Aval- Avalanche and, you know, he didn't make uh, crazy headlines, but he's still on their team and he's a fixture in their top nine. So it, you need those players and you get them all over the place. Uh, you know, obviously it would have been nice if they maybe went for a goalie, depending what they, uh, what you were looking for, for them to do. But I'm, I'm very, I'm coming around to this pick a lot more than I think I thought I would uh, this quickly. Yeah, I think Levi Miralainen might have something to say about uh, us uh, debating the Ottawa Senators goalie pick at this point. I think uh, he's definitely, I mean, like it, it, like it's one of those things where I think it's really tempting to always kind of want the new flashy thing. And I think when you see like these two goalies and the word like franchise potentials thrown around, it's pretty quick to be like, okay, like maybe that like an idea of a Vasilevsky or a price like on your team, like who doesn't want that? But um, we have some really, really incredible options in that. And like it, it, we really do like probably have one of the deepest goaltending pipelines in the NHL. So it's pretty hard to um, kind of question that decision because I, I, I mean, like I truly believe that if, the Trent man and Dorian felt that either those goalies had a really good chance of being that franchise netminder and like that guy to put us over the top. I think they would have taken him, And I think that they had a reason to believe that they might not have been that much of an upgrade of what they currently have. And I, I mean, like I definitely respect their opinions because they've done nothing but kind of put their money where their mouth as many times. So, um, and, and yeah, kind of just getting back to Boucher. I, I, also agree. I think that something that keeps coming up is kind of that skill versus um, ruggedness or toughness toughness argument. And I think something that gets forgotten about is that you need players that are going to generate space for skill guys to be able to come in and do their thing. And Boucher is exactly that. Like we saw he played with Coronado today, who is like an extremely skilled player and he's out there creating space for him. And like, I just see him down the road, just constantly like kind of throwing guys around and people being like, I don't want to go over there. I'm throwing the puck on the other side. And that's either going to be Brady Kachuk or Tim Stutz on that other side that are going to have an opportunity to kind of do their thing. Yeah. I think that's more than accurate. Uh, I don't know if it's more opting for toughness than it is kind of high floor guys. Uh, You know, the senators have shown something of a reluctance over the past few years to, really takes swings high in the draft on guys who kind of have a higher ceiling with a little more boomer bust potential. They tend to really go the safe route. Uh, and I think that's what they did with Boucher. I, I don't think there's going to be, there's any doubt that Tyler Boucher is going to be an NHL player in some capacity, whether he's on the first line or the fourth line. Uh, I think he has all the tools physically and mentally to be there. Uh, it's just a question of how well his skill translates. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, he just fits with what they've been doing over the past few years. And, if you look at it, Tim Stutzla is really the only player who was projected to be in that spot that the Senators went with the consensus. Um, I, I, you know, I wrote about this in an article for Silver Seven today. But even when they took Jake Sanderson at five, people were saying Jamie Drysdale. People were saying Marco Rossi. Uh, when they took Shane Pinto, people were saying Arthur Kaliev or Bobby Brink. Like they really, really don't care about the consensus when it comes to these players. And they're opting for the guys they think are going to fill out their roster the best and fit their identity the best. Is that going to work? Time will tell. Uh, You know, we might get to a point where this team is looking to make a deep run in the playoffs and they find they don't have enough skill. Or who knows? Maybe they're going to roll steamroll everybody to a Stanley Cup. Um, 
it's going to be really interesting to see, especially this year with an Atlantic division that is vastly improved. I mean, the Florida Panthers adding Sam Reinhardt, like that's going to be a way tougher team to play against. Uh, I think teams like Montreal are on the decline. Boston's probably got one or two more years left in their window right now. Um, you know, the Leafs are a perennial wild card. I think they're a team that when they went around, the floodgates might open and they go really deep in the playoffs, maybe win a cup. But, you know, I think for with getting back to Boucher, you know, not getting too off topic, uh, you know, now that I think of it, I'm not surprised they went that way. But at the time, man, that was that was a shocker. I really thought they were going either center or goalie, and then they took a right winger. So, I mean, I, I'm not even going to pretend to know what's going on in those draft rooms uh, from, from now on because that one was out of left field. Yeah, and Brennan, I meant to mention this when we were on the stream afterwards with uh, on the Sense Talk. We, we did it after the draft, uh, the the first round there. I meant to mention the they released that two minute video or something of the draft room, like you just mentioned, uh, and everyone was watching. You know, looking for a little tidbit, a little Easter egg about what they might do. And I think some of the quotes they dropped were so misleading to what they ended up doing, like. I think they said like you got a I th- no it was Dorian. Dorian said this is a quality over quantity kind of year. And then they drafted Tyler Boucher. That Well, it it year. really it really sounded like from all indications that have kind of leaked out of the organization that Dylan Gunther was their guy if he fell to 10. Mm-hmm. Um and then he got sniped by the Coyotes the pick right before. Uh so I think that probably had something to do with the way we heard them talking in the war room. Um, you know, it sounded like Boucher was the next guy down on their board, and that's and that's not a knock on him, but he's a really different style of player. Um, Dylan Gunther is a high-octane offense-first player, whereas Boucher is a more physical, kind of well-rounded winger. Um, so it's interesting that if that's the case, then they had two right-wingers at the top of their board. Um, I think it says a lot of what they think about the organizational depth of that position. If you look at it, Igor Sokolov's really the only prospect with some promise on the right wing. Uh, Evgeny Dadnov hasn't panned out the way they wanted. Drake Batherson's a stud. Obviously, Connor Brown has exceeded expectations, but they need help at that position. Um, so I guess when you kind of put everything into context, it shouldn't be as much of a surprise. But when you had centers like Cole Sillinger and Chaz Lucius on the board, and you had Jesper Wallstedt on the board uh, and Sebastian Kosa, it really did come as a shock, but I, I do like the pick. I want to emphasize that. I think Boucher is going to be a really good fit on this team. And uh, I, I can't argue with with the strategy if that's what the Senators are going for. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very interesting point. I actually hadn't heard that tidbit that Gunther was their guy. And it's kind of, it's too bad that he got so close if that was the case. But you know what, like... Nonetheless, like we, we can only move forward and things look extremely promising. Like it's definitely a completely different style than what Dylan Guther would have brought to the Ottawa Senators. Um, but but nonetheless, a style that I think is going to complement the team very well. And I think he's going to fit in. Um, I, like I, I totally see him fitting into that top six and definitely playing that kind of Ottawa Senators hockey. So um, I, and I mean, like it is kind of one of those things. I think a lot of people were really like oh well there's so much for best player available that's kind of everything that you're dropping and now you're very clearly going for a positional need but we don't know like 
I think the funniest thing to me, at least, is people say best player available, and that gets thrown around all the time. But that's so subjective. If you wanted to talk to me about like the best song or the best movie or my favorite player, I would have a million, like a, a, a completely different list or a different ranking than either of you guys. And I think that for the Ottawa Senators, like maybe they truly felt like, well, you know what? Like, even if he doesn't put up 70 or 80 points, if he's going out there and he gives us a chance to win every night, well, that's the best player that's available. And I think that that's kind of something that also has to be considered is that clearly this is a team that very much values those intangibles. You look at our skill guys and even our skill guys are not just skill guys. Tim Stutzel is hard on the four track. He's always throwing his body around. He has the potential to turn into a pretty decent defensive forward as well, even though his numbers might not have been there this year because his compete level is so high. And I think that that's something that you look at and you're like, you know what? Like they value these, these players using a criteria that I think is a lot more in depth than just what points they're going to produce or what they're going to project into, or maybe they just value guys that are two way a lot more than, uh, than other scouts or internet scouts or, or however you might want to call it. But um, something that I wanted to touch on Brandon, that you, you mentioned uh, a little bit back. So you said um, that like that Boucher was more of the safe pick and maybe that that's kind of what they were trying to do. It's one of those years where, you know, like you don't know a ton about all these guys, so you got to take what you know. And I'm curious though, with um, I, I believe it's like four or five of their six picks who had only played um a total of less than 23 games. I'm curious, like how you feel about um, the assessment of those guys. And like, do you think that they, they maybe had like a way of evaluating them or maybe that they were just like, you know what, like with that small sample size, we feel like if these guys would have been seen more, they would have had like been way higher in the draft boards. Like, how do you think that that played a role in it? Well, I, that's a good question. Um, I I think in the best of years, drafting is a total crapshoot. Uh, you have a good idea of the players at the top of the draft, but after that, you're almost throwing darts at a board. And that's not to discount the scouting process and the hard work that goes into it, but that's just the reality. Like these these scouts, coaches, GMs, they don't have a crystal ball. They don't know how these players are going to turn out for sure. Um, you know, this year in particular, like it was even more so. Of, there's even more uncertainty. Um, if you look at a guy like Boucher, the U.S. National Development Program played a good amount of games, but in a normal year, Boucher is going to play 60-plus games, and I think he played 17 this year. Um, you know, he's pretty close to a point-of-game pace, if not over that for that for those 17 games, but, um, but it's only 17 games nonetheless, and you had concerns with him coming down with COVID and him getting hurt, having an arthroscopic knee surgery, uh, all of which the senators apparently did their due diligence on. And, and I trust that they did. Um, but I think you're right. A, a guy like Ben Roger didn't get to play at all this year uh, and only had a limited role the year before because of COVID, right? Like, and because he was a young player in that first year and young players don't typically get to play when when in their first year with the London Knights uh and again and again a guy like Chandler Romeo was supposed to have his first season this year in the OHL and it didn't happen like he's only played junior B to this point uh so uh yeah I think they definitely had to do their due due diligence on last year pretty heavily uh and their scouting process this year probably probably involved taking last year into account but also touching base with coaches and organizations to see where these players are at in their development track. Um, I have a hard time believing the senators took used a second round pick on Ben Roger. If they weren't in, you know, heavy contact with the hunters kind of figuring out where this player is at. Uh, same can be said of Chandler Romeo with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, Zach Ostapchuk did get a season 
with uh, with Calgary, but again, or sorry, Vancouver, but again, did have some injury concerns. So, you know, I, I think they probably just used as much as they could of last year's film uh, and for the what limited uh, film they had of the players this year. And then just kind of had to combine it with, you know, just standard, as Pierre Maguire would say, boots on the ground scouting and talking to people and finding out where these players are at. Um, and I believe it was Roger who actually trains with the Belleville Senators uh, strength and conditioning coach. So there you have an idea of where the, how the guy's developing and where he's at in terms of his offseason. Um, so all in all, I think it was probably a lot of conversations and a lot of background information that they had to kind of dig up, especially where medicals are concerned. But, um, you know, I, I really do trust their process. Uh, I think they know what they're looking for in these players. Um, and, you know, Ben Roger was a pick that was kind of maligned at the time and made fun of, but there are some scouts who are saying that, you know what, this guy might have some of the, mo- some of the highest upside in the draft as far as defensemen are concerned. Uh, so I think this year is going to tell the story. Um, I think it's great that TSN and CBC have worked out a broadcasting agreement for the Canadian Hockey League, because I can tell you personally, I'm going to be watching a ton of CHL hockey this year. If you look at the WHL alone, you have Ostapchuk, Carson Latimer, and Ridley Gregg, who are going to be battling it out this year. you got three top Senators prospects in that league. That's going to be amazing. Uh, and in the O, you've got Ben Roger and you've got Chandler Romeo. So, and I think Levi Marilyn Levi is playing in the O this year too. So there's going to be a ton of hockey to watch this year for Senators fans who are interested in prospects. And we're going to see where these players are at. And it's going to be really interesting to see if the Senators were on base or if they whiffed on a couple of these picks. My gut tells me they're in the right they they went in the right direction, but we're going to have to wait and see because there's just been so much uncertainty this year. So I, I kind of had a question just based on um, the discourse that's been going on, and especially it was it was amplified after the 2020 draft, I think, because emotions were yeah. high. We hadn't watched the team in forever, uh, and and you know there there were two very distinct sides. It felt like where you know trust the scouting, you don't know as much as the scouts, or they they're going off the board. They should they're poor asset management. All this. Uh, and it came a bit more information this time too. So my question is, how much stock do you try to put in different lists? And I'll, I'll just kind of add to it. So for people who subscribe to The Athletic, Corey Pronman and Scott Wheeler are their big prospect uh, writers. Last yeah. year, Pronman gave the send an A plus or an A for the draft. It was an A. Wheeler, yeah. It was an A, and Wheeler gave them a D or a D minus, something terrible. Mm-hmm. This year... Pronman and Wheeler both didn't give good grades for the Sens, so there's no, there, there's no divide. So I'm just curious as how, if there's a person whose lists you look at more, if there's specific things you look for in the lists, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, again, another good question. Um, you know, Wheeler really slammed Ottawa's draft this year. Uh, I believe the statement he made was he kind of had it ranked if you – aggregate his first day rankings and his second day rankings he had them lowest of anybody like the the worst team of the draft this year uh and he said he would be surprised if they have one one nhler from their second day of the draft uh cory pronman is a guy who i really respect the hell out of and scott wheeler is too um you know for him to go from an a last year to a d this year i don't think that's insignificant even if you look over the past few years uh his grades for the sands have been like c b 
a like this is the first time in quite a while that he's given them something so low. Uh, the first Trent Man draft, anyway. So uh, to answer your question, for me personally, I kind of do it from a conglomerate approach. Um, Wheeler, Pronman are both guys that I that I take into heavy consideration. Chris Peters is another one. I actually subscribe to his Substack, and I encourage everyone else to do the same because uh, dollars to donuts, you're not going to find better prospect coverage out there. Um, he didn't necessarily poo-poo on the Senators draft uh, from what I've seen so far, but he was admittedly very surprised uh, by their early picks especially. Um, did not think Tyler Boucher was a top 10 player, and I understand that opinion. Um, Zach Ostapchuk, again, probably another reach according to the consensus and Ben Roger as well. But what I always go back to is, um, and what I wrote about today for Silver 7 was, I really do believe that anytime a team goes in the opposite direction of consolidated, consolidated rankings, their draft is going to be considered bad because the consolidated rankings are there to show what the consensus feels about these players. And if you disagree with the consensus, you're going to be the outcast, right? If Brendan and I both say, the, you know, the Dark Knight's an amazing movie and Jack says it sucks, Brendan and I are going to look at you like, what? You know, like it, it is, it's kind of an oversimplification, but that's that's the general thought process behind it. So, um, you know, I, I don't put a, all of my stock into prospect rankings, but um, I recognize that these are people who do far more research on the matter than I do. And I take their opinions into heavy consideration. I try to watch what I can of the players, especially when the senators uh, end up picking them. But I also recognize that so much development happens that you can't give a draft an instant grade. Uh, and if you can, it might not mean the same thing three years from now. Mark Stone was the sixth round pick. You know, Daniel Alfredson, the sixth round pick. Drake Batherson, fourth round pick. I don't think anybody at the time thought those players were going to turn into what they are now. Um, so there is just so much that we aren't privy to and there is so much to um, take into consideration that the pro scouts have that we don't information wise. Um, but, you know, like I don't think people sh shouldn't be allowed to have an opinion. You know what I mean? Like if you want to call mm -hmm. the senators bad draft, bad, fine. Like that's, that's your evaluation of it. It, it doesn't bother me. Um, I think it was okay. I don't think it was as good as last year. But then again, they had a third, a fifth, and 28th last year. It's going to be really hard to replicate that kind of success in what was one of the deepest drafts in the last 20 years. Um, so tr for me personally, I kind of try to keep it to a mix of different voices and opinions. Uh, Rachel Dory is another one who I forgot to mention who really knows her stuff. Um, but honestly, I, I try to just be open-minded when these picks come in because it is so, so hard to project what they're going to be when they actually get to the NHL level. I, I absolutely love that response, Brandon. I, I, I really like the fact that like it's, it would be easy to just be like, ah, like forget Wheeler, like forget, forget these guys because they're ripping on my favorite team. But at the end of the day, like we also have to respect people's opinions and like, we have to understand that like they put a lot of time into their list and these are the guys that they projected the way that they projected them. And, and, you know, like there's some respect that kind of has to go with that. Like it's a different sure. opinion at this point. Like we, we can't take what they're stating as facts. And if they're trying to construe it as facts, well, then they're doing a terrible job reporting because like, that's not, <laughs> it's an opinion piece that they're writing. They're not, they're not yeah. writing a fact. They can include facts in their opinion piece, but it's still an opinion piece. So well, I do well, the other part of it, Brennan, sorry, and not to cut you off, but no, no. Uh, I think 
even if things if they are reporting facts, they may not necessarily be facts two, three, four, five years from now. And that's the other component of it, right? Um, Jake Sanderson right now, if you throw him in the NHL, he's probably not a top four defender. Might be, might be a second pairing guy. But if you're looking at that guy in five years, I mean, me personally, I think he's got Norris Trophy ceiling. Um, so, you know, that, that we're going to see, right? And that's the other thing. Like, there's so much that you have to take into account. Like if you say a guy has weaker skating right now, that may be true right now. When Brady Kachuk came into the league, uh, his skating wasn't the strongest. Same can be said of Mark Stone, but that's stuff that improves. Um, so development plays such a huge factor in it. And uh, the consensus opinion of a player right now may not be the consensus opinion of that player in three, five years. Right. Oh no, definitely. And I think that that's just the other big element of it is that it's like, okay, well, the you, the sample size are all those extra considerations. And I think actually Trent Mann is the one that kind of put it best is that like, he, he just stated, you know, like I have the respect for um like what, what the public states or, or who these different people kind of like come up with all these different reporters are, are open to their opinions, but they don't know what we know. They don't, they haven't had the conversations that we've had. They haven't looked at the tape that we've had. They don't know like, the amount of years that have kind of gone into why they have opinions of what kind of players might project into what they project into. Like when the Ottawa Senators drafted Brady Kachuk, when the Ottawa Senators drafted Thomas Shabbat, they knew that Thomas Shabbat had an ability to turn into that number one D. And I mean, like that was an extremely deep draft class, but Thomas Shabbat wasn't expected to go where he did. And if you go back in it, he probably goes a lot higher. So it's kind of one of those things where like, they have a recipe to understand like, okay, this is what this projectability is going to look like. And I know like when Dorian came in the show, one of the things he said, and I thought it was kind of extremely fitting was that people love to, to grade the draft the day after the draft, but that is not the time to grade the draft. Like the, the time, the time is a year, two years, three years from now. And I mean, even last year we had so many people who were just over, over the edge about the Sanderson pick. Like they were so upset about it. And I mean, like, I, I can't say that I, I was one of them. I mean, like there were other players that I was definitely a fan of, but I, I respected it. And I think we look back and there's not very many Ottawa Senators fans that don't want them to take Jake Sanderson at five. And it's just one of those things that it, even in like a small sample size like that, we look at Levi Marilainen, who we knew literally nothing about. Like, I don't even know if I could find like a hockey DB page on the guy because he hadn't played in like any leagues that that were covered by that. I was just digging through elite prospects. And, you know, like now we look at this and we're like, this guy could be a number one goalie. So it's just, it's so crazy what can happen in a year. And, um, and that's just it. The Sens are very good at projecting what these players are going to be three to five years from now. And that's why like you look at them passing on, on Arthur Kaliev and like, yeah, I mean, like you look at what Kaliev did in the OHL, you look at all of these things and um, it is impressive and you might still project to turn into a pretty solid scoring forward. However, like I'm happy they have Shane Pinto. He, he, he was looking pretty great this year. And like as crazy of a pick as that might've been, I, I much prefer it in hindsight. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about, you know, looking at a draft a year after even is a little premature, right? Like, I think I think the NFL is what, probably the only sport, maybe the NBA, where you can tell right away if it was a good draft pick or something, right? Because those players are going right into the league. NHL is unique in the sense that it's you could be five years away and still be a great draft pick. Um, so even in 2019, like you know, we Pinto looks great right now, but we still don't know if he's going to have a better career than Kaliev. Won't obviously until the end of their careers. So I just wanted to bring this up too because it's another thing that's been talked about a lot. Um, is that 
when when they made the pick at 10 and then when everything else on Saturday happened, the main philosophy again was in Trent Man we trust. Now that's valid because a lot of the picks have turned out so far. But at what point do you think that we'll know if they for sure have or not? And I'm talking like the late picks, like like the ones that look really promising right now, like the the Igor e. Sokolov, the uh, even Alex Formanson. Um, just to drop a couple of names, like second round and later on the second day of the draft, which is where they seem to have found a lot of their depth for prospects. At what point do you think we can say, okay, they didn't make a mistake picking Pinto over Kaliev, even though it looks closer than it was at the time? Because I think a lot of the reason people are saying, oh, pick what pick is because of the drastic reaction that w- that was given for Pinto and for Sogard and all that, because they look on par with everyone right now. But I think personally, I think it's a little premature to be like Trent Mann's the man like you know yeah. uh we're, we're set because of him like the the foundation there i just don't think that the results are there yet so i just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that no i, th- I think you're spot on jack and uh this is actually a conversation that i had yesterday f- with someone funnily enough um you know if you look at trent man's draft history with the senators it's really not that long um his first draft they got alex formington in the second and they got drake batherson in the fourth and in a draft like that, when you only have four picks, that's a home run. That's a slam dunk. But if you kind of go deeper into it, the other picks that the Senators have really hit on have been the top five guys. Uh, it's been Brady Kachuk, which is, you know, I mean, I don't want to say it was a layup because there was a good amount of people who thought Philip Zadina was going to be the guy in that spot. But uh, for all intents and purposes, Brady Kachuk was a top five player. He was a, he was a layup. Uh, Tim Stutzla, I mean, come on, right? Like that, that was like the easiest pick that you could have made in that, in that spot and Sanderson the same. Um, so for me, I think the answer varies depending on which player you're talking about with guys like Alex Formington and Drake Batherson, you're probably going to know as soon as next year. Um, I think both of those guys are going to be mainstays on the Ottawa roster. I mean, Batherson, obviously, he had a phenomenal year this year. And, you know, he's a guy who you're maybe projecting as a 60-point guy, maybe 70 down the line. Uh, Formanton, I think, earned himself a spot as a really good bottom six winger. Um, You know, maybe second line ceiling, but time will tell. But Shane Pinto might be a guy who spends most of the season in Belleville next year. Uh, And that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, like these guys take a while to develop and there's no need to throw Pinto into the fire right away. Uh, I know everybody's excited to see him in Ottawa and see what he can do. Uh, but he only played, I think, something like eight games to end the season. And I, I have some questions about his game so far. Um, offensively, he looked good, looked good on the faceoff, uh, good on special teams, but still want to see more from him defensively. Like I want to see him, you know, really being a defensive force for this team. Uh, you know, if, if Pinto ends up as a really good middle six player, I think that's a win when it comes to him. Uh, but again, guys like Stutzla, guys like Sanderson, it's going to be some time and it's going to be them playing in the NHL. And even if they don't end up as long-term players to the senators, like if the senators use them as a trade chip because they're so good and, and pick somebody really talented up, then I consider that a win too. Um, but, you know, I can't give you a definitive answer just because every guy's development track is different. 
and because some guys have been around longer than others. Like if Drake Batherson doesn't emerge as a top winger on this team in the season we just had, you're starting to raise some questions about the player because then he's dominant in the HL but hasn't been able to translate it into the NHL. I have zero questions about Drake Batherson right now. He was their best right winger probably, save for Connor Brown's hot streak at the end of the year. Um, you know, a guy like Brady Kachuk kicked the door down as soon as he was drafted and was a full-time NHL or like did not look at a place for a second. Uh, same can be said of Josh Norris as soon as he got the opportunity this year. Um, so I, I think, you know, a good kind of time frame is three to five years. A guy like Bernard Docker might not establish himself as a, as a prominent player on the Ottawa blue line next year, but he might the year after or the year after that. And for a guy tra- drafted in 2018, if it takes him until 2022, 2023 to establish himself, that's fine. Uh, Eric Branstrom is another guy um, that people like to kind of point to and say, well, he hasn't really panned out yet. He's 21 years old, you know, like, like how can we have expectations that high on this kid? Uh, and if you look at his isolated metrics, he was one of the best defenders in the league down the stretch when adjusted for ice time. Uh, he filled Thomas Shabbat's role pretty nicely when Shabbat went down at the end of the year. Uh, so I, I think every guy's different. I think most of the Senators players are tracking in the right direction. Guys like Lassie Thompson, guys like uh, Vitaly Abramov might have hit that kind of snag. And uh, I just see a comment here regarding Logan Brown. I think the difference with Logan Brown is, one, it's been five years now. Um, so you're kind of coming to the end of that three to five year track that I mentioned with him. And and two, there are other things at play with Brown. Like, um, I, I don't like to speculate about a player off the ice because I don't know him, but people are raising questions about his work ethic and his ability to stay healthy. And sometimes staying healthy comes with work ethic. Sometimes it's taking care of your body and doing the right things off the ice that guys aren't doing. I'm not saying that's what's happening with Logan Brown, but at the end of the day, you have a guy who was drafted to be potentially be your number one center who has yet to even come close to establishing himself as an NHL player after five years. Uh, So again, every guy's development track is different. Every player is different, but I think that kind of three to five year window is a, is a good indicator. Um, But as you mentioned, Jack, guys like Sokolov, uh, guys like Lassie Thompson, Bernard Docker, Pinto, all the goalies, we don't know what they're going to be. Um, and I think that is going to be the kicker for this team going down the line. I think within one to two years, you're going to really see where this team is at. And they're either going to be in a really good spot with a deep prospect pool. Oh, you know, or they're going to start to go, Oh crap. You know, I don't know if I can swear on the show, you know, like, <laughs> but, um, you know, we're in trouble because we don't have the depth of talent that we thought. Uh, so it, it's tough to say right now. I think most of them are on the right track, but the next two-ish years are going to be critical. I think it, I, I, you 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 touched on so many things that I was thinking of. And it, it, yeah, it, sorry, it, I kind of went off. The, no, no, I I love it. I love it. I, I um, it, it's awesome to kind of hear that reassurance as well because that's that's totally where where I'm at with a lot of this. And I think that something that is also important to remember is that like you look at any team 
and and you can be one of the best drafting teams in the past like 10 years and there's going to be some misses there's going to be some logan browns or just like so i guess like adamoff wasn't even a draft pick but just like guys like that who you can be fairly high on but they're just not going to work out and i think that was kind of the beauty of the ottawa senators prospect pipeline is that basically they loaded up on so many decently quality guys that the other that the the cream of the crop kind of that came up and, and really took over. And I think that that was like such an impressive or, or great strategy. I think that in order to get like a proper idea of how well Trent man did, it's tough because it, it's so subjective on how you evaluate it. Like I, I completely agree. I think that until we really have a proper idea, it's going to be three to five years and we can kind of pin that with like each of those players and be like, okay, well, three to five years from now, what, what did they turn into? What did they turn into? And it becomes easier once we're able to revisit it when we go back and look at these guys. But also like you look at a team like Tampa and you look at like all the moves or all of those building blocks that Stevie Y put in place. And then he Mike drops leaves, goes to Detroit, um, heads back home. And it, it's kind of crazy because now they've ended up winning two cups and he probably deserves a lot of that credit for them winning those two cups. So I have to say, I really, really hope that sends management or like sends ownership, everyone stays patient and allows Dorian and man and, and this staff to really stay the course and, and to kind of see it through, even if it is another three years from now or four years from now, because I, I do think that they're trending in the right direction. They haven't given me at least a reason to believe that they're not given what players have turned into so far and the promise of like the constant development of them. However, I, I do really want them to kind of stay the course. And then because it's so it's so often that things happen prematurely where people end up kind of getting canned or whatnot. I feel like that's what we've seen in Buffalo time and time again. It's like there's not a GM group or like management group in there long enough that can really see a plan through because they're like they're just trying to pick up the scraps of kind of like what's left to them and like fill up another plan and and really like this is dorian and, Man and man's piece i know that like brian murray really laid like a lot of awesome pieces out and like when we look at that like carlson team i know obviously dorian played a, a vital role in that but you look at a lot of those players and really like that that was murray's team that he built and then dorian kind of came in and like fine-tuned a lot of things and I really feel like this is kind of their their first true kick at the can where they ripped everything down and they're rebuilding it up. And, and this is kind of their um, legacy that they're building. And I, I really hope that they have that chance to see it through. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it just goes to show you how difficult it is to win, right? Like so many things need to go right. Even a team like the Lightning, who's, who's so talented, got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets two years ago in the first round. Um, but to, to further to your point about Tampa, I think it's interesting that you bring them, bring them up because – there's one component of that uh, – I don't want to call them a dynasty yet, but, I mean, they're getting there. Uh, there's one component of that roster that is clearly missing from the Senators right now, and that's pro scouting. Uh, Tampa drafted very well, yes, but what did they do? They supplemented their team with guys that could play via trade and free agent market, picking up players like Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman. They don't win two Stanley Cups without those guys. Uh, I don't think they win the Stanley Cup without David Savard this year. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, they drafted their core guys. They drafted Stamkos. They drafted Kucherov. They drafted Vasilevsky. They drafted Point. But they don't win without those glue guys that they brought in on the open market. McDonough's another one. Uh, Braden Shen was a key – or, sorry, Luke Shen was a key depth player for them last year even. So 
that's one thing that I'm watching probably more closely for the Senators and the amateur scouting side of things because I know they can draft good players. They've done it for five years now. Do uh, you- I don't. I don't know that they can bring in quality NHLers to supplement their picks, and that's the biggest concern I have right now. Do you think that that might be a key part of the Pierre Maguire hire? Because from what I understand, I feel like that that is a large part of the value that they see in, see in hiring him. They feel like he's been around the league for so long. They've got he's gotten to know like a lot of these players personally. It's kind of gotten yeah. to watch them a lot. I feel like it may, maybe that's kind of the plan of action regarding that hire. Yeah, no, I, I do. I really do. I think uh, they referenced it a million times when he was hired. Both Eugene Melnick and Pierre Dorian referenced his Rolodex of NHL contact, contacts and his um, 30 years or whatever it is now of experience watching the game and watching these players. I think it's a huge aspect of it. People were saying, uh, you know, talking about the Senators draft and saying, oh, these are Pierre Maguire picks. Pierre Maguire has been around for like three weeks. Do you really think he had that much of a say on their draft board? Trent Mann and company have been watching these players for like two years. I really don't think that Pierre Maguire had that much of an influence on who the Senators were taking in this draft. Uh, but yes, to answer your question, I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, is that going to be official or sorry, beneficial? We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was a huge component of the hire. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And I think we think about pro scouting and last off season, it was highlighted tremendously, right? I think, of all the moves that he made, um, that the front office made, Murray is probably the only one that is like I'm talking trades. I guess Murray would probably be the only one that is good, and and he was atrocious at the start of the year. So that's saying something, right? I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I think, throw I would throw Austin Watson in that mix too. I think he was yeah, good for the yeah. role that he had, and yeah. he bounced back this year, uh, but but got hurt, right? But yeah, but to that point. Austin Watson can't be your best offseason acquisition. No, no. A fourth line right winger, you just can't, especially no. when you're bringing in that many defensemen and a guy like Stepan and a guy like Murray. It just yeah, can't happen. And he definitely gets lost in the shuffle, I think, of of that that whole season and all the vets that were taking up the useless space. But Brendan, I remember watching you and Derek talk with with Pierre. He was very careful, and it was the second time in this offseason because it is uh end of season availability with the media. He also touched on it. Like he said, they're going to get better players this offseason. Like, and he was that was paraphrasing, obviously, but he tiptoed around that point because obviously he doesn't want to acknowledge that these players weren't necessarily good. But I think he he said we're not going to value character as highly as we did versus we want on ice results. So that's encouraging. The problem is them going to actually get them. Uh, you know, when we were on the sense talk, um, uh post game or post draft uh, on the first round there was a tweet from Bruce Garriock about how they might move one of their second rounders and we were brainstorming who that might be for and uh, you know that wasn't like you kind of get that feeling like oh my god like they're actually going to do this I've also been saying I'm okay if they don't touch this roster they just sign the RFAs let it go for a few games and then see where you're at but there are some really enticing names out there right now that would be tough to pass up on. Uh, Reinhardt was was one of them, and that price, like that was, I I would hate to think that they didn't kick tires on that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm, I guess that kind of leads into a bit of off season talk if we want to get into that, like what 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 we can expect from the team. 
Yeah, actually, I, I would love to get your opinions, Brendan, on if, if there's any names specifically that you feel would be excellent targets or that you kind of have a hunch that they might be currently kind of pursuing. I know it's kind of hard to get those hot leads and everything's typically 99% speculation any anytime. But I know like for me, like it was like Cal Foot and, uh, and Sam Reinhart were my two guys. And unfortunately, one of them's gone. And I, I that was the one that I was more confident about. So I'm curious if uh, if there's any hot names that you think would be great fits and you could actually see happening. Yeah, um, I think I'm the opposite of Jack in the sense that I'm not okay if they don't touch this roster this offseason. Uh, I think they need help down the middle and they need help on the blue line. Um, and funnily enough, those are the two areas that Eugene Melnick mentioned. Uh, I don't think they're getting a number one center in this market, uh, especially with the assets that they have that are quote unquote disposable. Um, you know, but to that point, uh, I don't want this team to run with a center core of Josh Norris, Colin White, Shane Pinto, and pick the fourth name out of a hat, like Chris Tierney, maybe again next year. Um, I don't think that's conducive to this team's development. I think they need a veteran player in that top six. Um, I think it's a gigantic leap of faith to bank on Pinto being able to fill a top six or, or middle six role next year. So I, I do think they, they have needs to address. Uh, Reinhardt's an interesting one. Not a guy I was overly high on. And just the reason being that uh, I feel like his defensive upside is higher than his offensive impact right now. And the Senators need to score goals. And that, that's just where they're at. Uh, I think in, if you're looking for a center, you need a guy that can feed pucks to Tim Stutzla and watch the fireworks. Um, I don't necessarily see Reinhardt as that guy. I think he would do a really good job of insulating Tim Stutzla and, you know, kind of covering up for any defensive mistakes that a young player might make. But you have a guy like Connor Brown for that too. So, um, I mean, in terms of center targets, it's tough because I feel like the market's a little soft. Um Christian Dvorak is a guy I would look heavily at just because he's young and he has the potential to kind of hit that 25 goal range and his impacts in both ends of the ice are really good. And I feel like the senators maybe could get him at a decent price. The rumblings that have come out of the last couple of days are that it's going to take uh, players and prospects to get him or sorry, picks and prospects to get him. Not sure. The senators are kind of in the market for a player like that, but they have two 20, 2022 seconds uh they might have another third i think i'm not sure but they have a lot of picks in the first three rounds next year and uh so maybe those that's a guy you could package some picks for um you know like if you're gonna take a swing at a center i'd rather it be a guy like that who's young than a guy like ryan strom who's getting up there to 30 a guy like nazim kadri who i think the well has dried up for offensively for the most part um and if it hasn't it will soon uh, on defense, I'm still kicking myself that Seattle got Adam Larson to that contract because that would have been a perfect fit for Ottawa. Uh, good term, good money, like exactly what they needed in a, in a right-handed defender, and they didn't get it. Um, you know, obviously, Doug, Dougie Hamilton's the dream, but uh, don't see that happening. David Savard is a guy they should make a take a heavy look at, but is a guy that they might end up overpaying for. Like the way I see it, you just had the Winnipeg Jets expose Dylan DeMello. Um, maybe they're not willing to trade him now that they got through expansion without exposing him. But if that's a guy they're not high on, I'm giving Kevin Shevel Kevin Shevel Day off a call if I'm Pierre Dorian because they never should have traded that guy in the first place for my money. 
Um, I think they really undervalued him and the impact he had on this team, especially with regards to Thomas Shabbat. But it's so hard to kind of think of targets this year because uh, I feel like there's a lot at the top and not much through the middle in the, in the bottom of the pack. Um, Carson Soucy is a guy they've been connected to. I would love to see him in Ottawa again, because he's young. He kind of fits that mold. Um, again, don't know what the price is, but that's a guy I would really love them to take a hard look at. So I, I guess if I had to answer with two guys, one center and one defenseman, I would say Christian Dvorak and Carson Soucy. Awesome. Yeah, no, I know. I, uh, I, I really like that opinion. I think it's really difficult because I also agree. I don't see any true number one C's that are available. And I mean, like any of them that may be available or that you might yeah. be able to kind of grab from a team, you're going to have to massively overpay. And I don't know that Ottawa is really in that position right now to go. About no, no, that. no. And, so, and, and, I, and, I, and I know I kind of said at the beginning that, you know, they do need veteran leadership and to an extent they do, but I think they need talent above all else. Uh, I would rather them pay for a guy like Dvorak, who's maybe a little younger on the side, who is a little younger, sorry, than pay for a guy like Adam Henrique, who's probably going to be a fixture in your bottom six. Um, not that I'm against getting a guy like Henrique on, you know, some salary retained or something like that. But, you know, like I, I think the Senators need talent. I think they need dynamic players right now. Um, to the extent that they should be giving up assets i think dvorak is the guy i'd be most willing to pay for don't know how willing i am to give up picks prospects for a guy like ryan strome with one year left on his deal who you don't know what he's going to look like away from panarin um but susie is a guy i would take a hard look at too um defensively i think they really need help on that blue line that right side is bleak outside of artem zub uh i think the left side's okay uh but again the middle and the right side of the blue line or what I would be looking to, to hit on. And, and they need, they just need talent. Like that's, that that's really what it comes down to is they need talent on at both of those positions. Uh, so I really think Pierre Dorian should make a, a hard press to go get it this summer. So I've got, I've got a list here that I just pulled up. It just, I got a notification from the score that the top pending UFAs just as we okay. were talking about Good this. timing. So I'm scrolling through and at 24, they got Alexander Wenberg, a uh, 26 year old center. That's, of UFAs, I feel like that is the most enticing option in terms of age, offensive upside. Like I, I'm just thinking, probably get him for cheap too, right? That's the other right, part of it. Yeah, yeah. He, he was making two and a half. Yeah, two point. If you're looking for a guy who can dish the puck, Brandon, that is a guy that yeah, can definitely the dish guy. the puck. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, in terms that's, true. Of, that's true. But for for trade market, which I think is more likely, just based on you know Ottawa's not really a free agent destination. Um, I would I would think in terms of offensive upside, the one I can think of right away is Sean Monahan, uh, but that's right. Like that's not even a good one that I would. You're probably gonna have to sell quite a bit for him. Obviously, the major fish out there is Jack Eichel. You're changing your entire outlook of your franchise if you're going for him. Not that I'd be opposed to it. If this was the NBA, they'd probably have done it already. Um, the the name I, I keep coming back to and watching his run throughout the playoffs this year is Phil to you're not getting any offense from that, but just that the way he, he was able to shut down the top stars, uh, especially on the Leafs and, and, you know, face offs, just all of it. He was just a monster. And, uh, at the right price, obviously, I think that would be an interesting one. Just run him and Norris one, a one B. I wouldn't be opposed to that either. Dino is a guy I would take a run at, Maybe next year. And the yeah. reason I say that is like if he were available next year, 
And the reason I say that is because you need to know what you have offensively up the middle. Uh, as of right now, Josh Norris is the only center on the team that has consistently produced points. Yeah. And you are just not going to win like that. So if you have Josh Norris and you have Phil Deneau and then followed that by Shane Pinto and Colin White, and let's say Pinto turns out to be a kind of third line defensive forward, uh, not good. So what I would do is I would I want to see more of what Pinto can do offensively. If you find that Shane Pinto is a second line center, can be that two way player who scores points and is also responsible in his own end, yeah, then you take that. Then you go after a guy like Dano, um, even though you're probably paying five point five six million to get him um, at on the low end, and then you have that kind of shutdown forward and that shutdown line as well. Um, I'd be lying if I would said I wouldn't love to see a line of like a checking line of like Nick Paul, uh, Phil Deneau, and Connor Brown. I, I don't think many teams are going to score against that line. But at the same time, the Senators, they need offense. They really do. They need to score goals. Um, I think you have responsible defensive forwards in Colin White and in probably Pinto. And even Norris is a good two-way guy. Uh, but you need to get Tim Stutzla as center. Like that's the big thing right now because Norris can only play with one of Brady Kachuk or Tim Stutzla. And uh, right now he's with Kachuk. There's some obvious chemistry there. I love those two guys together. Uh, but you need to find Stutzla, a guy that can get him the puck. I So I completely agree with that. Another thing that I think is important that we're kind of talking about but not really jumping on is I think that we also need to find someone who's going to fit into this core. Like this is a young core, and if we go out and we grab someone, and, and that's actually why I don't feel that Sean Monaghan would necessarily be the best fit and why like even bringing up Christian Dvorak I feel like might might be. And um, obviously Christian Dvorak played in London with Matthew, so maybe there's some connection there that – him and Brady might might know each other as well, and that seems to be valued quite highly. But we, we need to bring in a guy who is going to be able to produce points, but also is going to be young enough that's going to be able to grow with this core for some time. Like, I mean, we could go out there and get a placeholder, but I don't know that we really want to give up assets when we don't really know exactly what we have if we're going to bring in a guy for one year. Like, I think the target last maybe, year, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, like, Galchenyak was kind of a, a decent kind of swing to just kind of see, like, and, and Dorian actually brought it up in, in the interview of, you know, like the reason why they brought him in is because they didn't know if Stutzel was going to be ready right away and, um, and kind of for that, for that role. So, no, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think that there is definitely a need for skill. Um, and I think that it does make the most sense to acquire that via free agency or trade instead of kind of just waiting to see if something pops up, even if it's just, one player um, that's a center that's ready to play now, but it, it's going to be really interesting to see who fits because like, like I was saying, like I, I would imagine that they're going to want to find someone that's going to grow with this core, um, but also is going to be good enough to be a, a first line center to play with Tim Stutzel. Like we, we can say like, okay, yeah, like this, this young guy's good. Let's bring him in. But if he's not good enough or, or a true number one center, or even like a true number one B center, um, they're just like, there really isn't a sense in my opinion. Mm -hmm. and that's yeah. that's where i'm at too like you know who i would love to have right now is like a prime kyle turris because that would be your perfect second line guy on that line with stutzla good defensively really good at getting his wingers the puck scores goals on his own clutch like th that would to me is the ideal right now uh i like norris as their top line guy i think norris can can be that guy going forward i don't know if he's going to enter the same stratosphere as the uh, you know, like the Nathan McKinnons or, or, you know, 
even like a guy like Patrice Bergeron, but but I think he's going to be maybe that Logan Couture type player who can be a top line center on a team that goes deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I just think you need to insulate him with more. Um, and like I said, if they can find a guy like to me, Dvorak is a good guy to take a swing at because he has the potential to be that kind of player. Um, he's good in both ends of the ice. He's good on special teams. That's what they need. So I would love to see them kind of go after him. And if Boston, because Boston appears to be the front runner now from everything we hear for Dvorak. And if Boston gets him for a good price, I'm going to be pissed. Like I like, you know, <laughs> like within the division and everything too, like I, I really want to see him in Ottawa uh, and just see what he can do. Right. Like he's got, I think like four yeah. years left at 4.5 million or something like that. Reasonable term. He's 24 years old. It's not an immovable contract. I'm pretty sure he's making less money than Colin White. So, I mean, go get that guy, you know, like that's the kind of player you should be taking a swing on right now. No, yeah, he's, he's, he seems like the absolute perfect target, especially since yeah. Arizona is clearly selling. And one thing I, I do, I do have to say, Brandon, I'm, I'm loving this chat and I'm so thankful that you come on, but I do know that if we go over the 60 minutes, I, I'm not going to be able to export it and, and be able to send it on the podcast. And it, it's such a good chat that I want to make sure that I'm able to do that. So um, I, I am going to end the stream, but if you want to hop back on and we can keep talking, uh, that's, that's great. Or, or we can just call it now. So um, I'm just going to edit now and then we can just have a conversation and figure that out. All right. What is up, everyone? We are back. We were had a very awesome discussion going uh, regarding potential signings or trades that the Ottawa Senators can make to bring in some talent um, in that well, center position mostly, and then also in that right D spot. And Brandon was really pleading his case for bringing in Christian Dvorak, who I, I also agree, I think would be like an, an amazing fit, a young guy that could kind of grow in that core. Um, another name that, that has been thrown around, and I know that you already touched on Adam Henrique because um, you're saying you'd be okay with him kind of being in that bottom six area. I think kind of the only way that it works is if like Chris Tierney kind of moves out. I think that, 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 that's the only thing that makes sense to me, at least. I don't see a world where they're both on this team. Um, but but how do you feel about potentially acquiring Josh Manson? Because I know like when I look at a guy like that, and that's kind of often where we see that Henrik name kind of thrown in with is kind of like a, it would be like a, a dual option. Do you feel like that's the kind of guy that w- would be ideal in a right, right D position? I know that you brought up Dylan DeMello previously, and I would absolutely love to have him back. And I, I, also completely agree. I think that him leaving really hurt Thomas Shabbat's development, which which sucked, I think, more than um, anyone was kind of expecting. However, um, I also think that Winnipeg is a little weak on D, and I, I don't know that they're going to be in a rush to give anyone up. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious uh, for that position if you have anyone in mind. Yeah, the, the thing about a guy like Manson is it's, a, it's sort of a catch-22 because you can maybe get him at a reduced fr- price, but the, because he's coming off the worst defensive season in his career, but he's also coming off the worst defensive season in his career. Uh, so, you know, like the, that's the rub you're going to, you're getting a guy who's probably a little bit cheaper, only has one year left at uh, 4.1 million. But at the same time, there's some kind of diminishing returns there. Um, so I think Manson, I'm not opposed to it just because, like I said, he's got one year left on his contract. He's a UFA in 2022, uh, probably a good guy to take a flyer on and see what he can do for a year. 
but in a year where you you want to be more competitive and you want to make the playoffs, you have to be very careful about giving up assets for a player like this. So, the, and that's been the thing historically with Ottawa, especially over the past few years. Uh, you know, like they bring in Derek Stepan, they give up a second round pick for him, and it turns into a disaster. They somehow give up assets for Eric Goodbranson and that contract and it turns into a disaster. So, um, you know, if they can get Manson at a reduced price point, I'm for it. He's got a 12 team, no trade list. So I don't know if, uh, I don't know if Ottawa is going to be on that list or not, or if Ottawa is on the list of teams he'll go to, but yeah, I think when you look at it in context, uh, he's the perfect guy to take a flyer on. Don't know if he's a long-term solution on the, on the right, a top pairing, sorry, on the right side. But, you know, to compliment a guy like Zub and maybe uh, lighten Nikita Zaitsev's load a little bit, wouldn't be opposed to that. Awesome. No, yeah, I, I actually hadn't realized that he was coming off his worst defensive season. I mean, I think it also makes sense given the team. And I know Anaheim's kind of in a really weird position right now where they're kind of pushing out those vets and kind of they, they've got a really awesome youth movement happening. But um, the, the other thing with Banson, sorry, not, again, not to cut you off. I know I'm no, doing no. that a lot, but uh, stuff is coming to mind. And uh, I, I'm looking at Manson's cap friendly page right now. And, and the one thing that I think might prevent Ottawa from trading for him is he out earns his cap hit this year. So his base salary is 4.45 and his cap hits 4.1. Uh, not a player that Ottawa has uh, liked to trade for in the past. You know, like uh, they would like to have less money due than more money. Um, reasons for that are, are what they are. But uh, that that might preclude, preclude them. It's not much, but it's the Ottawa Senators. So, don't, That's so I, I honestly don't know. That's an extremely big find, honestly. Like I, 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 yeah, I hadn't realized that. So, um, it definitely could could play a role in it. I do think same, that they would have same thing right? with Dvorak, right? So, I mean, yeah. like, you know, well, I, I think either way. Well, I mean, Arizona though is just taking contracts left, right, and center. So maybe like it, d- depending on what gets packaged in, they would be receptive of receiving something back. And I don't think that any of these deals kind of happen without us maybe moving guys, because I don't know that it's necessarily that we need to acquire more guys. I think that it's actually more so a case of like, we need to upgrade the veterans that we currently have in our lineup in, in Chris Tierney and Evgeny Dadnoff. And um, I mean, maybe Dadnoff even would be an awesome fit in Anaheim. And maybe they, that could be a good shot for him to get a look with like Trevor Zegris because that that could be the the perfect guy for him. So maybe there's a fit there, but um, but no, I, I I completely hear hear that take, and I also completely hear what you're saying about um, Josh Manson, and it kind of got me thinking a little bit. So I I know that with Ottawa, there's been a, a common theme of you know like Josh Brown coming to the lineup, and and people kind of voicing their opinions on that, and you know like the, them being very clear that they want to have that size and that presence in their in their own end with like. Um, well, I mean, we, we look at good Branson that we had last year among, among others. And I'm curious if you feel that it's realistic for Ottawa to have a left side of Thomas Shabbat, Eric Brandstrom and Victor Mete for a, a long period of time. Or do you think that that unfortunately is just kind of going to be like a placeholder until, well, obviously like Jake Sanderson will likely come in and play in that left D role and, and bump probably Mete, I would imagine. Um, but do you think that there's a world where, where that could coexist even with maybe Jake Sanderson shifting to that right side? I mean, it's possible. Uh, but I, the senators 
aren't for some reason it's almost an archaic line of thinking where they don't want to play guys on their offhand um, if they don't have to. Now, to get both Sanderson and Brandstrom in the lineup, and if they like what they see from Mete longer term, yeah, it could happen. Um, I, I see it more kind of going the scenario of you have a left side of Shabbat, uh, Sanderson, and Brandstrom. Sounds like they even have confidence in in putting Sanderson on their top paying, pairing and maybe eating some of Shabbat's minutes, some of his tougher minutes, and letting him open it up offensively. Uh, so I think he's going to be a bread and butter guy on the left side. Um, you know, the right side. The the, the thing is, Brennan, the, they want to have those smaller guys with a bigger guy. Like they've been very vocal in that desire. Uh, so you have that right now. Uh, you have Nikita Zaitsev. Artem Zub's not really a bigger guy, but you have Josh Brown in there too. Um, and the problem is the returns on Brown in particular, and and I guess Zaitsev too, though they don't seem to think so, it, it, they haven't been great. Um, so, I mean, to answer the question about the left side, I, I don't see it just because I think Sanderson is really going to shake things up on their blue line. Uh, maybe they get to the point where they're more comfortable playing Brandstrom on his right side, and then you can. Um, I think that's what they should do, um, especially when you have a player like Branstrom who's voiced the fact that he's comfortable playing on the right side. Uh, but, you know, just my my instant reaction is no. One thing I will say is that um, I, I was very much of that belief as well with Eric Branstrom. And I, I know, like, he has played on his right side coming up probably more so than he did on his left side, like, throughout playing in Sweden and whatnot. Um, however, like after talking to Dorian and, and him stating that there, he could go through like hours of tape and show where there's been gaps in his play defensively because he can't defend properly on that opposite side. And, and that DJ kind of pointed it out to him in that they had that discussion. I think that I kind of realized that, at least like in my opinion, um, I, I feel that it's not something that can happen down the road but maybe it's just something that it's going to be a few years until he's able to figure out how to do that at the next level, because obviously it is, it's NHL. So um, I, I definitely think that it's not out of the cards, but maybe just out of the cards in the next little bit. And I also just want to add that um, what you said about Jake Sanderson, like I, I think that it's inevitable. And I think that it, that's going to be just an incredible thing for the Ottawa senators to have Jake Sanderson potentially be able to play 20, 22 minutes a night and then have Thomas Shabbat play 22 minutes a night, kind of balance that out a little bit. So one or both aren't like completely burnt out and they're able to go out and do, do what they do best. So I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat. Um, well, first of all, I wouldn't presume to know more than DJ Smith about the players that he's coaching. Um, if that's his evaluation, evaluation of the player, then I trust him and I trust that, you know, um, he's not saying that lightly. Um, I think you're right. I think if Brandstrom is going to transition to the right side at some point, it's going to be a couple years down the line, probably. Um, I think maybe you get to that point if Sanderson jumps in and he's an impact player. And if you like what you're getting out of Victor Mete, because uh, too many good defensemen is a good problem to have. You know, so, I mean, if you've got Shabbat, Sanderson and Mete that you like on the on the left side and you can play Branstrom on the right side and you're comfortable uh, in him doing that. I think that's, again, a good problem to have. Uh, Eric Branstrom has gaps in his defensive game at the best of times, uh, even on the left side. He was a disaster in his own end at the beginning of the year. Started to round it out at, at, at the end of the year, but 
that's something that's going to come with time. You know, that that's can be said. It's true of most young players. Even Tim Stutzler was, was terrible defensively for most of the season. Um, but you know, like I, I, I think you're right. And I think, and I trust Dorian's assessment and DJ Smith's assessment of that. I think it's interesting that they leave the door open to it and they don't say, no, it's not happening. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right in, in that aspect. I think it, it's not gonna happen anytime soon if it is gonna happen. So one one thing we'll try to I'll, I'll try to loop back to the draft talk a little bit just since it's kind of the hot topic, and I, I feel like we'll be talking about this stuff for the for the next ongoing uh, four months probably. So I mean, I, I'm curious um, if there was a player or uh, maybe not necessarily a pick just because some of the ranges might not have been what we were expecting, but I'm curious if there was a player that the Sens picked that you're, you were extremely excited about kind of upon review or even more so um, that maybe some listeners might not be as familiar with as of yet that, that you would like to kind of pump his tires up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I love the Zach Ostapchuk pick. Um, I think his upside is really strong, especially for a guy that big and that skilled, but the guy that immediately comes to mind for me is Carson Latimer. Um, he's a younger player. Um, you know, I think he just, just turned uh, 18 in January um, and only really made his OHL day de- or sorry, WHL debut this year with, uh, with the Edmonton oil Kings, 16 points in 22 games as an 18 year old is, is pretty solid in your, in your WHL debut. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say debut because he played six games in 2019-22. Uh, but I mean, to put up those point totals, I was really impressed by that. In the little that I have seen of the player, um, I, I like his game. I like the way he uses his body. Um, I think, again, going to be a good fit, uh, maybe from that same mold uh, as Igor Sokolov with probably a little bit less in the skill and physicality department. But a guy that's going to go into the corners, a guy that's going to get pucks out for for the more skilled players and just make things happen offensively. Um, you know, I think that's a guy who you can kind of mold into an ideal third, fourth line right winger. And it, let's say he pans out. You're now looking at a right wing situation of, Drake Batherson, Tyler Boucher, uh, Carson Latimer. And that's even before you start talking about Sokolov and start talking about Connor Brown. And if Evgeny Dadnov's still in the picture a few years from now. Um, so if you even hit on one of these guys of Latimer and of Boucher, you're in really good shape on the right wing down the line. And that's not something you could say even a few days ago. Uh, that right wing is probably the one position I've had the least confidence in when it comes to the Senators uh, and their prospect pool. Um, so to answer the question, uh, Latimer jumps out to me. Um, I, I've seen a few different scouts and a few different prospect experts say he could end up being something. Like that could be a swing that really pays off for Ottawa. Um but he jumps out to me. But again, Zach Ostapchuk, I, I, I keep having to circle back to because a guy that big and that skilled as, uh, I don't know if you saw it, as as the Giants were were He's kind of nice, right? He's kind of he nice, nice, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were kind enough to point that out to me and even post some clips for the rabid Sens fans that uh, can never get enough content. So uh, kudos to them. I think the Giants uh, are, are going to get some love from me this year as my WHL team. Um but but again, that's a player that really has some high skills, some high upside. Maybe would have gone higher if he had stayed healthy this year. Uh, but my my gut really likes the Latimer pick right now. Yeah, I, it's funny. I feel the same way about Carson Latimer, and I think it's because there was some reassurance. I know like Grant McKeg might not always be the favorite uh, the favorite draft guy yeah. for uh, among Ottawa Senators fans, given his biases. But um, I, I do respect like 
some of his work because he does interview legitimate NHL scouts and for him to come out and state that um, he, he was considered one of, if not the best skater in the, in the draft class and for the senators to get him as late as they did, I think it really speaks volumes, especially considering that he's playing on a team that went 17, one and one, and he pushed his way up to be in that top six behind Dylan Gunther. So I think that, like you said, he, he freshly turned 18, which I actually hadn't even realized yet. So um, I, I think that the potential is definitely there. He really reminds me of like an Alex Formanton and just like the way that he's a little relentless, but he's also just, just a great skater. I don't know if he has that same kind of explosiveness as Alex, but he, I don't he know does. anyone that does. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Honestly, McDavid, like, like that's, yeah. that's the speed you're talking about with Formington, right? Like he's, he's up there. Yeah, no, no, it, it's true. It's true. And um, well, yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm so excited to see what he turns into, but um, just, just to be able to have that, like to have great speed and to be able to to be a quality guy, I know that when I watched his highlights, I think like three or four of the goals that he scored, he kind of got knocked down after, which totally seems like an Ottawa Senators kind of kind of player because he's getting into those zones. So um, I'm I'm really excited to see him. I really like that. And um, Ostovchuk was a really interesting one for me as well because he like it it really appeared that he has a lot more skill than what his point totals would suggest. So yeah, like I, I think you're completely right with with the additional coverage of the CHL next year. I'm definitely going to be tuned into a lot more CHL games. It's really interesting that Ottawa decided to go that route this year where previously they've kind of stayed steered clear of the CHL for the bulk of their picks. I mean, um, it seems like this year there was more of it and there was definitely the most risk involved uh, drafting out of the CHL. So l- let's hope that something comes with that. Mm-hmm. And I think it just probably has to do with the COVID effect more than anything. Um, the Senators looked for guys to me that were probably a bit underscouted. Um, and I think they really tried to hit on those players. Like if you look at Boucher, like we mentioned, he only played about what 17 games this year. Um, not a ton. Uh, Ostapchuk only played 22. Uh, a guy like Carson Latimer only played uh, 22 as well. Um, ben Roger and uh, Chandler Romeo didn't even have seasons this year. Oliver Johansson only played a lot at uh, the younger levels, like the J20 team and the J18 team, only played five games with the pro team, with the big club uh, in hockey, all Svenskan. So I think they really went for guys who they thought had higher upside that other teams were maybe sleeping on a bit. It's a bold strategy, but uh, in, in the hockey news is Ryan Kennedy and Stephen Ellis made a great point in their kind of uh, NHL 2021 NHL draft postmortem where they said, yeah, the Senators took some risks on a lot of these picks, but with a prospect pool as deep as they have, they can afford to take those risks. You can take a flyer on a Carson Latimer when you have Igor Sokolov. Uh, you can kind of reach a bit on Zach Ostapchuk if you think he has higher upside when you already have uh, Shane Pinto and Josh Norris and Ridley Gregg in your system. Um, so I think the Senators having drafted well over the past three or four years really lends them the ability to kind of take swings on guys they like. And in a year like this where the draft class is not as strong as last year, definitely, and not as strong as it's going to be next year, now's the time, right? Like now's the time to kind of try to really hit some home runs on these players. So uh, I, I think from that perspective, uh, that had a lot to do with it. One, just having the scouting opportunities to watch guys in North America more than guys in Europe. Um, but also 
trying to hit on those inefficiencies. Like last year, the Senators took over Agers, right? Because that was an inefficiency they tried to exploit in the draft. I, I think this year the same principle was applied to guys that were probably underscouted by other teams. I love that. I love that, like looking at those inefficiencies and really targeting them and kind of preying on potential other weaknesses that other staffs might not be looking at. And something that I was kind of just thinking about is the fact that I remember after the, well, during the draft for the Boucher selection, Jeff Gordon, um, like previous GM of the New York Rangers, uh, came out and just stated, like, I love this pick. Like, what a great fit. And like, the, basically kind of the same thing. Like, this is a team that has drafted well and now they've been awarded the opportunity to, to go out and grab a guy that they want to target regardless of what his consensus rating is or regardless of anything. And I think that that speaks volumes to me because he was a general manager so recently. Um, and he's, he's been in that shoes. And I mean, obviously New York was also one of the teams that was rumored to be interested in Boucher. Exactly, right? I, I, yeah. So, so maybe there's another connection there too. Um, however, like I do think that it also kind of just goes to show that like general managers or like j just those guys who are in those shoes of making those selections, the Trent man's, they really have a different outlook on things. It's not always just about like, okay, what, what player projects into potentially being a scoring player. It, it, there's so many things at play. And, um, and I do really like that because I know the overagers thing for them last year, it's looked like it's paid like absolute dividends. It, it's been, it's been an awesome it was an awesome approach at least like i know sokolov is is looking like a great pick at 61 even as an overager so um it, it's awesome to see that they're not afraid to shake things up and um i'm really hoping that it works out for them mm -hmm. i mean you know it, it's like you said uh at some point you're going to have enough of foundation that you can kind of try to hit on these players um sokolov is a guy who could be in the nhl next year the way he's tracking um i think the senators will probably give him an extended look in belleville to start the year unless he's just had a monster offseason and comes and kicks the door down in camp which is entirely possible um but i think they'll be content to have him play those top line minutes in belleville in a normal season um yeah i think he led the division in scoring or led rookies in scoring this year in the american hockey league um had a wildly impressive year, but I want to see what he can do in a real schedule against, you know, all that the AHL has to offer. Um, again, that's not saying he shouldn't play if he gets to camp and he's outperforming an Austin Watson or an Evgeny Dadanov. In that case, he absolutely should. But uh, I think where the Rangers and Gordon, I think they were in a similar situation. That's a team that's drafted well. That's a team that's traded well and acquired young players on the open market. Uh, and they're in the same boat where they can afford to take swings on players that uh, may not be as highly regarded. And I think that's a big reason why they like Tyler Boucher. And I think they also want an answer for Tom Wilson, like just in that division. Uh, Tom Wilson is a guy that's terrorized the Rangers over the past few years. And I think they're, they're tired of that. They're tired of getting pushed around and Ottawa is in the same kind of mentality. They're not going to be pushed around. Uh, Brady Kachuk is a monster. Even Sokolov, a guy who with so much skill is huge. He's a beast. Um, you know how big Ottawa is on the blue line, drafting defenders like Clevin and like Ben Roger and like Romeo, they're big dudes. So uh, that is going to be the identity of this team for better or for worse. And I think Boucher fits that like a glove. And uh, when you have all the facts in front of you, it's easy to see why they went with him over a Sillinger or a Lucius or maybe a guy with more skill. Uh, they want to be tough to play against. And regardless of what he does offensively, Boucher makes them tough to play against.
Well, I think even just the depth of it as well is is such an important thing and something that Ottawa is looking at is that like, okay, so you bring in these prospects, but you know, like you also have to have that depth that if some of them go down, like that you're still going to have that answer. Like, I mean, heaven forbid, but if like Brady Kachuk ever missed like an extended period of time with something, um, we, we might not have that force on the four checker. It might be a little more limited and, and maybe that's kind of the thinking of having Boucher as well. It's like, well, if we have both of them amazing, but that way, like, even if we only have one and when we really need them, um, they're going to be able to step up and play. And, and that's kind of been my opinion of what they're doing with their decor. I feel like they're finding a lot of guys who are going to be really, really solid in certain situations. And maybe against certain teams or certain guys that come into the lineup, like the Tyler Clevins, when those like Victor Metes or whatever may came, come out, if they still have them. So I do think that they're really kind of going for that depth down their lineup, but then also just to make sure that they don't only have one guy that's kind of doing those things that they, they really highly value. Mm-hmm. And, and they like guys that can use their reach too, right? Like that was one of the biggest um, positives of Sanderson's game and the biggest endorsement when he was drafted. He knows how to use his reach. He plays angles really well. Um, and because of that, he really limits offensive chances. Uh, I've seen similar things said about Ben Roger. Like he really knows how to use his reach. Um, he uses his size well. And the fact that he put on 35 pounds of muscle, apparently, I think is only going to help uh, in terms of clearing the net front. It's going to help in puck battles in the corner. Uh, Chandler Romeo, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's a seventh round pick. So um, I don't think anyone is uh, betting on him. But again, same same type of player, right? And a good guy to take a flyer on if that's what you're looking for organizationally. Um, so it's something the Senators clearly favor, and they've been open in their desire for bigger defensemen to complement their smaller, more skilled guys. Um, so I, I think it, it just totally tracks with what they're doing development-wise, and uh, I, I'm not shocked that they're going for the same types of players as you know the Clevins and the Rogers and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, it is definitely very clear the kind of brand that the Ottawa Senators are, are trying to build. And um, Brandon, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I definitely look forward to collabing with you again, because um, I think I could just sit down and talk hours um, about Ottawa with you, whether it was like over a beer or or on, uh, on a podcast. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. And if you want to give any of our listeners like maybe a better idea of, of where to find you, I'm sure that you're you're pretty well known within the auto senators <laughs> community but ju- just in case if, if there's anything that's fallen through the cracks i appreciate it man thank you for having me likewise uh feelings mutual um you know before i before i do kind of sign off i want to give a shout out to Derek lee who uh, obviously isn't on the broadcast with us tonight but uh that's a guy who you know with his daughter J- jada they've been going through a lot lately um for my money Derek's one of the best human beings that i've encountered um on this kind of hellscape known as twitter um he's always been a guy who's has a kind word for everybody uh and uh you know him and jada are always in my thoughts so shout out to you guys um for showing the strength that you have and i hope things are turning the corner for you soon uh but again thank you thank you thank you jack thank you all for having me uh it's been a blast um, for those who don't know me, fortunately, you can find me at silver7sends.com, staff writer there for the best senators coverage that you're going to find anywhere. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Uh, I have a little podcast called Internal Budget uh, out every week, and that's about it for me. I, I write words a lot of places, and uh, but Silver 7 is my home. It's been good to me, and uh, sends Twitter, and this fan base has been amazing to me, and uh, 
like I said, always happy to jump on with people like you, Brennan, who are, who are good people who know their stuff and uh, just like talking hockey. So thank you, man. It's been fun. Oh, honestly, my pleasure. And I, I truly appreciate that. Shout out to Derek and Jada. It's been an inspiration for, I think, everyone just to be able to watch that. And um, I, I feel honored to be able to uh, interact with him as often as I do because, yeah, it's just he, he's such a great person and, um, and he definitely knows his hockey too. Yeah, both feet on the bag, brother, for sure. Definitely. All right. Take care, Brandon. Likewise, man. Thank you.